1: I'm going to make him an offer down with you. kill us if he got the chance. I can handle
0: things, I'm smart! I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Hello and welcome to the Quadfecta, the podcast where we, the Alien Minute hosts, discuss a filmmaker's career and whether they were able to accomplish four truly great films in a row. I'm John Engel. And I'm Mitch Bryan. And today... We have a guest. His name is Tom Taylor. Tom, thanks for coming.
2: Oh, thank you for having me, guys.
0: I'm sure all of you out there recognize Tom's voice from (laughs) uh, the Indiana Jones Minute podcast, perhaps Caddyshack Minute, perhaps the Blues Brothers Minute, which obviously is appropriate for this episode. Well, no, it's not because, Mitch, you're going to cut that because we haven't said who this is about yet. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) I'm not going
3: to cut that. Okay. Just, um, just <laughs> but tease also, them.
0: Also, my co-host, we, Tom and I have recorded, what, like 200-some episodes of podcasts together from the ABC we sure podcast. We sure did. So.
2: I saw that in my list of uh, of, of, of Skype previous calls, and, and it touched my heart.
0: Yes. Oh, the ABC uh, Devo guys. Old ABC Devo. Well... They'll be putting out an album sometime and we can, uh, bring, no, they won't probably, but <laughs> <laughs> we it's can hard. dream. So Tom, you're, you're familiar with this quadfecta concept we have here. You've chimed in on Facebook before. We've discussed it personally before yeah. and uh, you've had some ideas about people to bring to the show. Who are, who are you bringing? Who do you got? I have brought a man
2: named John Landis, who is a mostly uh, comedy director. Uh, his heyday was in the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I realized, uh, you know, thinking about this, that, uh, he's responsible for some of my very favorite films,
4: yeah.
2: um, as to whether he achieves the quad factor or not, uh, we will, uh, have to see. That's why we're here.
0: Yeah. That's why we're here. I mean, it's to be assumed, I guess that you maybe think he did, but not to jump the gun, but I would not be amazed
2: if he did. Let's put it that way. Okay, I've, okay. I've, got, I've got a little bit of hesitation there, but
0: I'm I'm I think he's a very solid candidate. What do you do? You think the audience even really needs to know? I bet you most of the people listening right now already know the films we're going to talk about. Don't you think? Does he have a kind of an obvious four? He does have an obvious four, but
2: <laughs> when we were setting this up, I said, "Hey, wait, I got to make sure that I've decided on the four. And you're like, "Well, it's Animal House, Blues Brothers, uh, American Werewolf and Trading Places," right? And I'm like. Well, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> like in the back of my head, I was like, Kentucky Fried Movie? Could Kentucky Fried Movie through <laughs> through Blues Brothers do, or American uh, Werewolf? Could that do it? I don't know. Maybe. Well,
3: and it's their remake. I mean, Coming to America is being, uh, they're making a sequel to it right now, right? Yeah. all but, that's true. And that yeah. was another super smash hit, right?
2: Yeah, but I think that came after a few It did obvious non-quadfecta movies.
0: <laughs> worthy well, you know we yeah. should we should say that there is a another concurrent uh movies by minute podcast for into the night going on that is some, true some might argue that belongs in there uh you could argue that so we could have gone back from cu- coming to america to into the night to trading places that's true right? or am i missing one i somewhere? have to
3: watch into the night again I, it's been so long since that movie I, want, came I out. That I, I
2: jerry thought, and pete and i are my, my indiana jones minute hosts uh we did a week of uh, Into the Night Minute, and I had never seen it before, oh, and really? I'd always been kind of curious about it because I was like, "Boy, does that? I can't tell if that looks like a John Landis movie or not." And this is right after, like, I guess it's right after Twilight Zone, right? Yeah, yeah and, so uh, I, that might have had a little something to do with, uh, <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> when you know the whole history, the you're sort of like, "Oh, is yeah. he kind of pulling himself up by his bootstraps a little bit and dusting himself off and trying to get back in there and make a movie?" Because it's a it's a weird movie, Into the Night and uh, i don't know if i can say i'm a fan um but i guess
0: i admire a lot of it in some ways it's it's audacious i i admire the audacity of it yeah, um, and the, audacity of it of, yeah and the audacity th- of yeah the audacity of unevenness right <laughs> and let's not discuss, i mean we got two you know cracker jack leads too i mean you got oh well, definitely i can spend pretty much any movie with jeff goldblum and and um Michelle Pfeiffer. I yeah, loved her so much back then. Um but yeah, she's she's fantastic. And uh yeah, I don't know what you bring up the Twilight you bring, bring up Twilights on the movie. I think we have to address it because uh not only do we have to address it for multiple reasons, but we have to address it as far as um uh, uh the consecutive
3: mu- movie issue because Right, but it, it doesn't count, in... right? You were, you were saying that consecutive movies if it's a short right. film or a TV movie or a commercial, right. it doesn't count. So it doesn't have to. It doesn't. Yeah, we don't have to works.
0: talk. It, but just for the audience members out there saying, "Huh, wait a minute." The release date of Twilight's I don't. Re- I, I can't remember. They came out the same year, right? Trading places and um and Twilight's on the movie. But yeah, yeah. By our rules: the short film, the anth- anthological film doesn't count, right? Because if it did, we wouldn't even be having this episode. Because <laughs> honestly, <laughs> right. for for multiple right. reasons that uh, I mean for. Christ's sake! It shouldn't have even been in the movie. They should have just. How did they not? They should have just cut, cut it out of the movie. The it,
3: movie would have been a much better movie experience without that slogging through that thing because it's a terrible episode. It's a terrible. It's pretty amazing. Obviously, it's amazing it's a, to
2: think if that whole thing had happened now, yeah, that almost definitely would not have been like maybe the movie itself wouldn't have been released. I don't even know.
0: Yeah. Oh well, yeah. I mean, yeah. even how many movies got shelled because of Columbine, and how many movies got yeah. shelled because of nine eleven. Or at right. least put, put away for a couple of years sometimes. Yeah. yeah. There, there's no way Twilight's in the movie would be coming out. Uh, say nothing
2: it, of Kevin Spacey.
0: Yeah. <laughs> of course. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I don't know how much we want to talk about, but perhaps somebody listening doesn't know exactly what we're talking about. But, of course, there was a horrible tragedy on the set of Twilight's in the movie, specifically for John Landis' segment, where Vic Morrow and two children were killed due to... Questionable uh, movie making uh, negligence. I guess it was. I mean, it was negligence on multiple people's part. But John Lane's
3: and was he the went director. to court
2: for that, right? He was. He a was. Of... That was like the charge: negligence. Or, he was in, or... co- and
3: he was in court for like four years. Like he made yeah, multiple yeah. movies in the time that his um, the trial, but the in, from the time of the incident to the final acquittal, he yeah. made four movies. So it's it's kind of amazing that he kept working wow. so oh, steadily.
0: A massive budget a comedy coming to America big runaway hit was happening while the trial was going on right like it it was either right before right after or being shot around the same time he was actually in court right and it's pretty crazy to think but that's not really what we're here to talk about I mean we're not we should remove uh, any feelings (laughs) we have about the Twilight Zone incident from our critical review of his uh, the four films that Tom has brought to us to discuss. Well, I should say there's one of these films in particular, it is impossible
2: not to think about that almost constantly. A movie that was made way before Twilight Zone, the movie, but like when you're watching the Blues Brothers,
3: oh, it is, no.
2: there are some stunts in that thing where, I mean, I, yeah, you mentioned I did the Blues Brothers Minute uh, and we countless times were going backwards and forwards in slow motion like... That stuntman almost lost a leg. You all He almost lost a leg. <laughs> like People are almost killed in this movie. Like You can see the seeds of like, hey, this is so much fun, <laughs> creating all this destruction and blowing up all this stuff and crashing all this stuff. And you can see um, where that guy may have uh, gotten a little out of control later on or something.
3: Well, and even the glass in the mall, all that's real glass. They decided not yeah. to replace any of the glass with candy glass. And so people were getting right. cut and all sorts of stuff was happening. And, yeah. and,
0: and, you know, from some accounts, he was proud of it. He was proud of his, like,
2: his oh, you kind can of tell
0: raucous it. approach to stunt coordination and, and taking risks. So uh, I believe it was that attitude that led to the Twilight Zone yeah. situation.
4: This is Faber College in 1962. You know, 1962 had to be the best year of my life. I was a member of Delta Tau Chi.
3: The Deltas. What a great bunch of guys. Bluto. Hoover. Uh, raise your right hand. Pinto. Flounder.
4: Flounder? D-Day Boone
1: It's not gonna be an orgy It's a toga party
3: And look at me in 62 The otter School was fun in those days The girls The party The friendships The girls of course, we had our problems.
4: Find me a way to revoke Delta's Charter. You're out. Finished at Faber, expelled. I want you off this campus at 9 o'clock Monday morning.
0: The aforementioned Kentucky Fried movie um, came before Animal House. A movie called Schlock came before that. But this so, this is really his first movie in a way. Like Schlock was a super super low budget thing that he put together himself. Kentucky Fried movie, I see. I was, an anthology, right? It it's an anthology? And, and I think of it as the Zucker brothers movie yeah, more I do than too. I do a Landis. They, the Zuckers, they just didn't know how to shoot a movie, right? That's basically, they went, oh, this Landis guy shot that Schlock movie. He at <laughs> least knows how to coordinate. They were apparently really impressed with the fact that he was able to actually finish a movie. So they right. thought, oh, we'll bring him in. He can actually run a set and do all that for us. But I still, I've always thought a contingified movie as the precursor to Airplane, not the precursor to Animal House, you know? so Oh, definitely. Um, so Animal House we'll just kind of call it. It's really kind of Landis's first movie in a way. Yeah, um, and I
2: think he got the job from Kentucky Fried Movie. Like yeah. I I forget what the exact story was, but somebody was working on or fin- oh, I think like the one of the producer's wives was doing something on Kentucky Fried Movie. She's like, "Oh, check out this Landis guy." Yeah. And uh yeah, got him got him the job. Did you see this movie in the theaters? I, I don't know how old you are. No, in fact, I—I I, not only did I not see it in the theaters. I think the first time I saw it wasn't even cable. It was just like regular TV with stuff cut out and oh everything. My gosh, yeah,
1: a lot really of stuff. And cut then out,
2: watching it for this, I think was the first time I would seen it like since cable, like since those days. So oh. it was, it was kind of it was an interesting experience. Like like it was a weird mix of very very familiar. Like obviously I know all this stuff, but also oh, so this is Animal
0: House <laughs> from beginning to end. This is the movie Animal House. Okay, some of this is kind of new to me. Yeah, I had a similar experience fairly recently um, mm-hmm. too in the past few years, where I, for whatever reason, this movie—I knew this movie existed, of course—but sure. nobody I knew cared about this movie. I remember in high school, nobody ever talked about it. Um, mm-hmm. Caddyshack, Stripes, movies like that—all got talked about, but never yeah. Animal House. And I—I I got to college in 1993, and a lot of my education, like comedy education, came from that first like semester. In college, because then I got there and people were putting <laughs> Bluto posters on their walls and oh, sure. saying, I can't believe you've never seen Animal House. I can't believe you've never seen Blues Brothers. So the same goes with that. But I I don't remember tons about seeing it back then. But then I've in the past few years, I finally put it on and watched it. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure <laughs> how I feel about it from that perspective. But we'll have to talk about that more in depth. Mm-hmm. Mitch, of course, saw it in the theater.
3: I did, and I was shocked by it when I first saw it. I was like in still in high school and Ooh. it was a little rough, even though I'd seen like much rougher movies like I'd seen taxi driver and stuff. somehow there was something oh, yeah. about the the humor and just the out upfront sexuality of it that I yeah. was really kind of put off by it. And then it like a year and a half later I went to college and suddenly it all started to make sense. <laughs> and maybe my sense of humor had you know toughened up or something. You would become a man. I become a man, yeah. And then I loved the movie for years and years and years. And I did—I mean, all of our my friends' new lines from it. But what was really cool is two years ago, maybe three, I showed it in class because I did a unit on comedy, a big a whole semester on comedy. And oh my god, the kids were so offended by it. Oh really? Some girl came up to me and she was like, "I want to take a shower after this. I'm just I, this is so disgusting." And it's just weird because, you know, movies play differently from generation to generation and they yeah. weren't laughing at it. They didn't. I mean, it, the oh. jokes weren't playing. They they somehow didn't tap into the just the kind of, you know, it has this real rakish sposhbuckly kind of humor. And these guys are <laughs> above everybody else. And there's, you know, it's yeah. just it's there's an attitude that this has. That's a really cynical, superior kind of attitude. Didn't seem to impress the millennials in the house. See, I'm not surprised at all to hear
2: that people were, uh, you know, possibly offended by it. I mean, you know, it's not... This movie is not a friend to the female in any way, right. really. Uh, but that's interesting that, it, that that just the comedy didn't land, that that they weren't just flat out into
3: it. That's interesting. I wonder if it's just I think been imitated so much over the years, too. That's
2: entirely possible. Because, I, I mean, I watched uh, MASH. I mean, I, I watch MASH all the time. I love MASH, the movie. And uh, that... Which is you know, clearly like a kind of immediate predecessor to this in a lot of ways, um, including like just sort of the the treatment of women, which at the time was, you know, great and hysterical and nobody really worried about the fact that, you know, Sally Kellerman is totally preyed upon in that movie and stuff. And, you know, some of the women in an animal house too, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the times are different. Um, the politics are different. The sensibility, the social sensibility is different. But, um, I don't know, there's a, I, maybe Maybe you have to have seen it in, in both eras, like back then and now, to be able to kind of be like, ah, well, come on, it was the 80s, it was the
0: 70s, come on. Yeah. Instead of, like, just seeing it for the first time and being like, oh my god. See, now, I've seen movies, you know, like I said, I wasn't that aware of this movie, say, in the 80s, um, or I hadn't seen it, but I saw other things that mm-hmm. had similar sensibility. And by sensibility, I mean, we're fairly were unkind to women um a mm-hmm. little too brash overly sexualized basically the idea i think that it was kind of a comedy trend and maybe it goes back farther even but especially in the late 70s and through the 80s that basically any sick juvenile idea that a man had in his mind could be funny like just put it on the yeah. screen you know this disgusting fantasies and and so on um so i, I even though i didn't see this back then I, I was aware of the sensibility and I and got caught up in it, too. I was a dumbass kid. And, <laughs> of course. Uh, and I didn't see it as a problem in any way. But I think my question about this movie is I, I don't particularly find it that funny. I mean, I don't think it's unfunny. But I'm, sometimes I'm seeing things and maybe it is this, uh, this copycat comedy mm-hmm. or it's so in the zeitgeist that i I, I mean like there's I've a joke so every times. 30 seconds
3: it's I as don't... it's as joke filled as airplane I know,
0: but i do oh i know but yeah. to me airplane every joke is like a full idea or something it's not just like oh <laughs> right haha you just squashed a can over his head you know airplane it's like a bit after bit after bit where these aren't bits these are just like this is just stuff happening and, and sure, the airplane it's... stuff is is so just spot
2: on and crafted and precise and then, yeah, a lot of the animal house stuff is, is, yeah, like you said, like oh, he smashed a beer bottle over his head. I oh, he made a funny face, right? I oh, got mustard on himself.
3: I am just he uh, smashed, he smashes Stephen Bishop's guitar and then <laughs> says, "I am sorry." <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like it's the, <laughs> that's the, actually pretty the, fantastic. The, yeah, I know. And the the whole <laughs> uh, range of of comedy, like this, doesn't ever get too meta. Although, obviously, John Belushi looks at the camera a couple of times straight into mm-hmm. us, you know, and breaks that wall. Yeah. But it's um, it's a real wide range of comedic tricks up its sleeve and it's also smart which i will just wanted to say it is porkies came out a couple years later and i hated porkies and oh really yeah i just was it was not it was it was just too stupid for me Mm -hmm. and at least you look at animal house and there is this there's a real intelligence going on even in its most vulgar minutes you get the sense that the people that are making this are completely aware of what they're doing you know
2: See, yeah, and I think that carries a lot of the movie for me. Is just that kind of awareness that, like, oh, these guys, like a bunch of smart people, got in a room and decided to make a movie, and they made this movie. And like, even even like the stupid, like you know, quote unquote, stupid comedy, like you know, hey, girls' boobs, or hey, the guy fell down. Um, there's like, there's a, <laughs> there's that one moment where like early on, um, what's her name? Uh, she's got the oh, Mandy Pepperidge. I want to know who, if, if Doug Kenney or Harold Ramis is responsible for all the amazing names in okay. movies like Caddyshack and Animal House. you got Mandy Pepperidge and she's with uh, Greg Marmalard yeah. And, uh, you know, they're just like they're a make out point. And at the end of the scene, she gets all fed up and she takes off her rubber glove. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> like, and they don't even make a bit like that's the like uh, instant later the scene is over. Because that's not you're the like, joke
3: that you expect that's going to happen. Right. There's all right, sorts of exactly. other jokes that are being set up. And, and that's the last thing you expected.
2: Yeah, she's like, oh, her hair is perfect, and she's wearing a rubber glove. Well, that's, the more, the more expected brilliant... joke
0: comes later in, a, in an almost identical scene, right? But Is it supposed to be this? <laughs> that, that's <laughs> the right. expected joke yeah. where it's kind of a disappointment yeah. when you get there. They should have reversed that or something. I don't know. Oh, maybe. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, this the this is just personal taste. I just doesn't this isn't the kind of comedy that strikes me as being like laugh out loud funny. Now I get it. I get what you mean. Mitch, particularly the way you articulated it as a swashbuckling style of that, immediately made me think of of Mash as well. Like when I see mm-hmm. Rygert and Matheson up there hitting the golf balls, I'm immediately thinking of <laughs> Hawkeye and Trapper.
3: Yeah, totally. You
0: know, so, I, and I've always loved that. But there was always, to me, like Mash had a lot of heart to it, and actually had a lot of uh, got real. You know, we're even. You know, you take the television show, and sure, they mistreat women on the television show too. They can be real slimy with the nurses. But the nurses usually get their get theirs in the in the operating room right yeah mm-hmm. or something happens, and that never that kind of thing never happens here, so um uh, it's a little disappointing on that level, but I don't know i mean i see I guess I see what you mean by the intelligence of it. But well, it's a
3: satire, and it, the, the Coen brothers and John Landis are constantly referring to Stanley Kubrick, and they're referring to Stanley Kubrick in the ways that they, where they put their camera and in, mm. their, in their kind of distance from the material and the ability to go for those ridiculous names, like, you know, you have outrageous <laughs> names in this movie and in Coen brothers' movies and in Dr. Strangelove, obviously, and again, that kind of indicates that there's this intelligence sort of yeah. behind, the, behind the show.
1: Okay.
2: Don't write this down, but I find Milton probably as boring as you find Milton. Mrs. Milton found him boring too. He, uh, he's a little bit long-winded. He doesn't translate very well into our generation, and his jokes are terrible. But that does not relieve you from your responsibility for this material. Now, I'm waiting for reports from some of you. But I'm not joking. This is my job.
3: The other thing about Animal House is that it's a movie that is critical of fraternities, and yet everybody in a fraternity I've ever known loves Animal House because right. there's these, there's so much truth, kind of exaggerated truth that exists like all through the thing. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think you're, those people aren't getting it. Right? No, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true because what what it allows you to do if you're, you know, I don't care how. How, how terrible a fraternity man you might be, you can look at animal house and you can always go, but you know, we're, we're not like that. You know, we're not like the, the bad house. We're not like the, the Omega right. house, you know, those, those are the guys that we think it's funny, but we're not like them.
2: Which Although, is kind of like what the sensibility of, of the guys in Delta house probably is when they're, when they're, you know, looking at the Omega, Omega, you know, snobby guys. Right. They're like, well, yeah, we're not like that. We're total slobs and we're, you know, Wrecking the place and ruining other people's property and so We're not like those guys. Well, they're, but they're also those guys in church. They're
0: also abusive to <laughs> to new pledges, and they're doing exactly, all the same yeah. things. They're still fraternities. And, and you know what I was saying, Mitch, is like as far as these frat, r- real life frat people not getting it is. Uh, I think immediately of when when Homer Simpson went to college. Uh, in an episode of The Simpsons, of course, the dumbest human, the dumbest character in all of pop <laughs> culture, and he immediately is against that that dean. Oh, that dean. <laughs> Go, so it's completely informed by this. I think that's what, if you didn't have, say you didn't have the dean in this, then maybe the satire yeah. would play a little, but because you have this dean who's against a specific fraternity, that's the yeah. enemy, and therefore, well, this this fraternity must be the good guys, and that must be who we are. So maybe right. that's speaking to exactly what you're saying, Mitch. But Well, me and I like- would
3: just argue that one more thing that makes it brilliant, though, is that Dean Wormer has almost the same amount of contempt for the Omega guys. <laughs> right. like he, 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 he doesn't like any of them, but it's just, right. who can I use to my, to my advantage? So he's such a horrible, wonderful authority figure because right. he hates everybody, and he's, he's yeah. just... I mean, it's that's well, what they're so good at in the way that they create these character archetypes, including including the mob guy who gives the money. To, I mean, the, <laughs> the the archetypes all through this movie are are brilliantly thought through, and they you get a lot of mileage out of all of them. Oh, and I yeah. I would say I think Wormer, he's the best
0: character in the movie. He's my favorite character, I think, in the whole movie. The way this is a great performance. It's he's a so good. great villain. Yeah, and you know he he brings that conflict like that aspect to it from the sense of being you know a film that you actually can get into the the drama of it i guess and then karen allen and peter eiger bring the heart to it a little bit you actually kind of care about them a little bit i think without you take them out of the movie you might be in a lot of trouble especially karen allen she's the heart of the movie yeah for sure i mean like peter eiger does a lot for me i just something about him when i see him in movies like the um uh, crossing delancey and so on He's just good, man. He's just like got this screen presence, and you want to like him, even as the schmarmy uh, city councilman on The Sopranos. You kind of kind of want to <laughs> like him, and and yeah. when Tony Soprano beats his ass with a belt, you're like feeling right. pretty bad for him. So I think his his just presence on screen kind of uh, adds a little heart to it too. But of course, care of course, Karen Allen's the heart of the movie. She's not going to not be the heart of the movie she's in. No, it's an odd. She couldn't help it. <laughs>
3: Tom, did you know who John Landis was when you saw this movie the first time? Or when did you figure out that, that you were interested in John Landis as a filmmaker?
2: That's a really good question. And I think the answer might be as silly as, like, Thriller. Yeah. <laughs> I think that... I yeah. think Because I think Thriller and Twilight Zone and Trading Places all came out in 83. Yep. And I think the combination of the... Like, I know I saw Trading Places in the theater, and we were huge on that. And... Uh, And yeah, I was really into Twilight Zone the movie, and I think so. Yeah, I think I was like putting together then that like, and I probably hadn't quite seen American Werewolf by then. That was probably a couple years later, but uh, yeah, I was just putting together like, oh, this this guy's good. This guy does a lot of cool stuff. And even knowing like seeing Thriller, the Thriller video, like that transformation and stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, that American Werewolf movie that does something like that. Yeah. Um. So I was kind of getting into that and kind of understanding that slowly. Like I probably thought of Blues Brothers and things as like a Dan Aykroyd movie. Or you know, like the guy from Ghostbusters. Um, I probably didn't put John
0: Landis behind there immediately, but it came soon after. Yeah, yeah. Because isn't Landis's name? I'm trying to remember his name. I mean, it at least comes in a credit sequence at the beginning of the thriller video, like a film. It's not like I'm trying to remember. Oh it, yeah, it's not, it's not like a traditional video where you just get the little thing in the corner. No, it has credits, but credit I, can, I
3: I think the credits are at the end. I could be wrong. You might but be right. I, but we all watched doesn't it it have so like many a, times, though.
0: I think the title comes
2: up, and it's like a weird uh, claymation sort of undulating thriller or something.
0: But it says Michael Jackson's thriller, I think. Oh, yeah. I think you're probably but, right. But, you know, this is the thing. You might watch, you know, in the 80s, you might have watched the same videotape, you know, a bunch of times. But I bet none of us watched anything more than the Thriller video in the 80s. Like, <laughs> you would watch it three times yeah. a day at least. When Some, it came out- In the out, summer of 84? Nobody I had
3: watched. made anything like that. It was nope. the longest music video yeah. that had ever been made. It had it had dialogue and it had scenes in it. It was the most expensive music video that had ever been made. It was unbelievably significant as a cultural event that, that yeah. year. And yeah. the next year. I'm telling you. It was yeah. the summer of 84 <laughs> I was
0: still watching. It. It's crazy. Yeah. So his name is going to pop up, but you're at least going to see that name over and over again, even if you don't register, you know, oh, he's the guy who made the movie. But So my right. answer would be the same. I, th- I certainly knew John Landis from that first, and then Trading Places was an Eddie Murphy movie, like you're saying, Tom. Blues mm-hmm. Brothers and all that would be she. Uh, I wasn't yeah. really thinking about directors that much yet anyway, but, yeah, you
3: know. But Thriller was before the whole Twilight Zone thing. I think
0: they, didn't they shoot it right after? I thought he was like all messed up on the set of Thriller because of it. I, oh, maybe I'm trying to remember. There's the book. I just Outrageous they all came comic. out yeah. the same. Year. I just That's read that book and they didn't. I
3: don't. They didn't mention it at all. I thought they did.
0: Huh? Maybe it was something else I read. Because <laughs> when I read that book, I read as got as much supplemental info as I yeah. could get to. But um, it was real close. It had to have been real close.
2: Yeah. It's sad to see, too, like not to harp on the Twilight Zone thing, but it seems like he and Steven Spielberg were really close. Like they were buddies. They were pal. like he showed up in mm. 1941 and Spielberg showed up in the Blues Brothers. And, you know, I think everybody just circled the wagons after Twilight Zone. And yeah. he was kind of out in the cold. Oh, yeah. Remember
0: yeah. Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise went to like Princess Di's funeral together. Well, how, how close are they now?
3: Spielberg has yeah. a weird tendency to drop people like a bad habit. Well, they are that's the joke about Spielberg is like if you if uh, have you ceased to exist yet, you know, people will say, <laughs> after you've worked with him if you, and especially if you've disappointed him. But with the Landis thing, it was like Spielberg a, got called that morning wh- the dawn of when it happened and then he like never spoke to Landis again from what yeah. from what that book asserts anyway.
0: Well, he called Landis and gave him a bit of advice about PR.
3: He said the first words he heard after he heard about the thing was do you have a publicist? No. And then, according to the book anyway. And mm-hmm. yeah, so, yeah, it's weird. They were really good friends until they weren't. And, and yeah. then that was that. And it is really amazing just to, to think about how much work Landis managed to do in the wake of that thing. You know, that yeah. he kept working. Yeah. And that he made movies that made money. I mean, that's the, he didn't start hitting the the bombs until, well, after the twilight zone trial was over like well, th- he, he made significant movies during that
0: period mm-hmm. i mean the coming to america was his biggest movie right i mean maybe the blues brothers could be argued to be his big not not mean box office but budget and time yeah. given and just like leniency towards doing whatever you want and that oh, coming maybe. to america is a massive movie of course it's on the shoulders of the biggest movie star in the world at the time too so mm-hmm. that helps and there was no lack of support for Eddie Murphy through the whole Twilight Zone thing either. That helped him a lot. Yeah. And,
3: um, I And I would add that Trading Places is sort of a huge movie too. It's you pretty a big. Look movie. At the oh yeah. Scale of that thing when we get when we talk about that, but it's it's gigantic. Yeah. And
0: again, that's that's a real hot commodity with Eddie Murphy. He hadn't quite gotten to the level yet because Beverly Hills Cop was the year after, but he had yeah. forty eight hours behind him, and they knew they had. Everybody knew they had something with Eddie Murphy. So it was good. Landis, you know, we've talked, Mitch and I were talking about this a little bit before we recorded. How he's really good at working the system, he's really good at finding the guys that can help him out. <laughs> and even before he was a filmmaker, he was able to figure out how to get the network put together so that he could yeah. succeed. Um, and of course, you know, we should finish talking about Animal House by saying that it was a gigantic box office success. Like yeah. The biggest movie of the year, I believe. I, I think it was the highest grossing film of 1978. Um, something like, adjusted for inflation, $500 million. It's insane <laughs> wow. to think for a comedy. That is amazing. Um, so he had a lot of cachet going forward to his next film. Yeah. Um, which he decided would be the Blues Brothers.
1: You would better get bright, pal. We got a show to do. Then we got to figure out some way to collect that gate money. Get it to the Cook County Assessor's Office as soon as they open in the morning.
4: Joliet, Jake, and Elwood Blues. Two men with a mission, and only 11 days.
1: And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. Our lady of blessed acceleration, don't fail me now! For me and the Lord, you don't understand it. We're on a mission from God. How are you going to raise $5,000 in 11 days without ripping off somebody? Dance
4: to the jailhouse rock Dance to the jailhouse rock Dance to the jailhouse
1: rock Dance to the jailhouse, jailhouse, jailhouse rock I remain celibate for you. Uh,
4: hit it. My heart calculate me Juneau,
1: if my estimations are correct, we should be very close to the Honorable Richard J. Daly Plaza. That's where they got that Picasso.
0: Yep. Okay, so the story here's the story about the Blues Brothers script. Okay. So you got you got Ackroyd, who's this massive blues expert fan, going way back all the way to childhood, mm-hmm. um, introduces Belushi to the music. Like apparently, Belushi wasn't really into it introduces yeah. them to him them when they meet in the 70s uh, I think around the Lampoon radio days before Saturday Night Live and when they got the Saturday night Live they started playing around with these character ideas and they needed warm-up acts for the sh- for Saturday night Live so they started doing warm-ups and they could perform and they put the band they put a band together to tour uh, who was it that had them open for them I'm blinking on who it was some big rock act had them open for them. And it kind of took off, and that and um, the show that they recorded the show that opening show, and it became a gold record. They they put it on
3: wax and <laughs> put it
0: out. So anyway, yeah. the, as they were doing this, apparently blue Belushi, Belushi's wife, I think, and Aykroyd would talk, like get high and talk about backstory for the characters. Aykroyd took that those ideas and wrote a 320 page script for the Blues Brothers. Then Landis had to turn it into a shooting script. That's that's the Man. story as I understand it. So there was apparently, there were individual almost movies for every band member Like <laughs> for them to go get them, uh, where he wrote these extensive descriptive, like whole long sequences for every band member. And wow. Landis was the one that said, okay, I guess I'm going <laughs> to put this together. So yeah, he co-wrote it. Aykroyd's the guy that kind of you know gave it the spine of the story, but obviously uh, Landis is the one that made it a movie. That's amazing, and yeah. I mean, the movie kind of plays that way a little bit. Like there is like the,
2: the like there's a sequence for collecting each guy or each group of guys for the band and stuff.
0: Yeah. Like toward, you know the first like hour of the movie. Yeah, there's it's like there is a little bit of a yeah there's a little. It's a on a mission. Almost. A on a yeah. mission
3: movie where you get all the guys together. Uh, right. I remember the first time I saw it being almost exhausted by the time I got to the end, and not <laughs> not even sure whether. I'm not even sure whether I liked it or not. Like, I kind yeah. to really love it. But do you, Tom, do you remember the first time you saw it? You know what's really weird? I honestly, it's like
2: the, any of those cable movies. I do not remember the first time I saw it. But I know that, I know I came to it really late. Like, it wasn't part of that whole animal house, caddyshack, everything else, stripes sort of package. Uh, for me, anyway. Like, I didn't find it until probably even after college or something. I, I knew about it, and I'd probably seen parts of it. But I never, like, actually sat down and watched the whole thing until much later. Hmm. and uh
3: were you familiar with much of the music? I mean, did you know like who all those did you, did you know who all those guys were? Or?
2: I knew like James Brown and Aretha Franklin I would probably mix up um. I can't think of his name right now because I can't think of which one he is. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the boom, 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 John boom Lee Hooker. John, guy. John Hooker, Lee. I was gonna say John Lee Hooker. Damn it! I could have sounded smart. Um, but yeah, like I was. I'm still not like a blues guy at all. I kind of appreciate it, but I kind of also don't quite get it. Yeah. But uh, the music in this movie is so goddamn exciting. Yeah. It's like it's one of the most exciting movies I've ever seen because of that stuff. It's like it's weird. It's like the best parts of the movie are the music and just gleeful destruction. And that makes for a super weird movie and it's really cool.
3: And the choreography like, uh, is great too. Like, yes, oh, like oh the, my god, the dance scenes are really really good. So it is such a strange hybrid of a in yeah. some ways a traditional musical and then it's also a backstage musical and then it's also this action movie. <laughs> It's so yeah. weird. Yeah. think yeah. yeah.
0: Landis, Landis find, says he finds it frustrating that people don't refer to it first as a musical. He said when he was shooting it, and mm-hmm. the cinematographer, whose name's escaping me right now, they both said they were shooting a, a classic Hollywood musical first. And then yeah. the chaos comedy was going on underneath that. So when people d- don't refer to it as a musical or try to say it, you know, qualify it as something Uh, with musical elements, he says he finds that frustrating because he thought it was the first musical he ever... I guess he never really went back. But, uh, well, he did go back. We won't talk about the second one. But, um, yeah, my story... Well, it's it's almost the same story as Animal House. I got to college, and my roommate couldn't believe I'd never seen the Blues Brothers. Mm -hmm. So we watched it a lot, like constantly, and quoted it a lot. So the first half hour of that, of the Blues Brothers is almost hard to watch for me now because all I <laughs> hear is us saying those lines all the time. And yeah. it's really just the first half hour that has all the real quotable stuff to me or at least to us at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've really gone back and forth on the Blues Brothers over the years. I've oh, really? loved it and then kind of thought it was a kind of thought it was a too messy at other times, like well, oh, it's a, it's fun and all, but it's also kind of too sprawling. Well, just watch the
3: director's cut, and then you'll realize how clean it is. Oh boy, because, Jesus, that thing is a mess. Every, yeah. No. yeah.
0: Anyone out there who's listening to this that maybe hasn't seen the Blues Brothers, do not watch the extended cut. Do not. Nothing and, in it at all is of value. The to me. jokes Nothing even fail. Stuff.
3: Oh, it's, it's so amazing. Like you would think you would know how to play a joke, and they're so well edited in the in the original, and then the jokes all just. Yeah. In the the. Why the fuck
0: does Elwood have a job? There's a whole sequence where the person oh, quits yeah. his job? It's
2: dumb. It's like You know what the well, greatest what? sin about that is? The worst part of like I don't even hate that sequence necessarily. It's like I'm gonna become a priest. Like it's kind of like a funny, mm-hmm. weird, random kind of Elwood thing, but you see his eyes in that scene. Oh yeah. yeah the only you time you see either of their eyes is when John Belushi takes off his sunglasses at the end when Carrie Fisher's about to blow him up. And that should be that should be the only time you see either of their eyes. That's Definitely. a very and, good point. I just thought yeah. it,
0: it felt flat, and also it's, it's dumb, completely yeah. out of character. Elwood, he's he all he eats is one piece of dry toast every once in a while. He doesn't need a job. <laughs> yeah. like, we don't want this guy to have a job. He's he's a no. hustler or something. We gotta yeah. like all they do is play music, and if they need money, they rob a liquor store. That's right. what I've always thought. So that when I yeah. first saw that scene, I was like, this is just completely undercutting the character. There's it's one of those things where, like you, too.
2: where you see stuff that the either that the director puts in later in like a special edition or something, some kind of Star Wars type thing, or like something like this, like a like a, just an alternate cut, and you're like, boy, there's like they almost didn't understand their own movie. Like there's that sequence where they they park the the Bluesmobile like in some like electrical. So it's, a, it's like under some powerhouse for the L or something. And that supposedly explains why it's like a supercar or something. You're like, no, you dummies. Just It's an awesome car. It's got cop shocks, cop brakes, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's got a catalytic converter. Just just let that be. That's that's why it's cool.
0: It's just because it's like this weird thing that's unexplained. Just just go with it. Yeah, the, the cuts were good. The cuts were good yeah, in the first definitely. place. And, it's, and the movie itself is such an endurance test of sorts. By yeah. the time you get to the third act, that you just don't want it to be any longer. You don't want any more Oh, try more doing it out. minute by minute. Oh, my God. I can't... So, but you guys aren't <laughs> doing the extended cut. Uh, you or would like you? to believe that, wouldn't you? Oh, we, my God, uh,
4: <laughs> As
2: I record this, we have one more episode to record. Really? Uh, yeah, we're almost done with it. It's taken us about a year, a little over... Well, yeah, over a year. Gosh, a lot over a year. Anyway, yeah. Uh And uh, yeah, for some reason, I decided to do the extended version just because, oh, this will be the definitive review of everything The Blues Brothers. Uh, And yeah, so we kind of slog through that sometimes. And I mean, you guys know that watching a movie minute by minute can really test your appreciation of even your most beloved movie. Um, And that kind of happened with us, too you know i think my, my co-host uh, dan lewis just flat out hates the blues brothers now <laughs> oh, no. he doesn't see the comedy oh. in it it doesn't make any sense to him when um, you get in the
0: car chase stuff do, I, I just don't know no how you he loves do that stuff. stuff but how he i loves don't know how stuff. you talk about it minute by minute though that's the problem it's,
2: so many, like, uh, we long, find a way yeah. were
3: you doing single minutes or were you doing 2 minutes at a time we're doing 2 minutes yeah.
2: and once a week so it's been a long you know long slow uh slog not slog i mean, we're having fun it's it's a good it's a yeah. good reviewing a good show but uh yeah like i was i i was debating for this like well i I just watched the whole thing minute by minute should i re-watch it for this and i'm really glad i did because the second i did i'm like this is one of the best movies i've ever seen in my life this movie is so good this movie is like when i'm not watching it and i haven't seen it in a long time like i think about it i'm like is the blues brothers almost perfect is it's, it's got like this weird almost I don't want to say punk rock is thrown around too much, but like this weird, like kind of, you got these brilliant friends and you don't quite understand them, but they've got these ideas that they understand and they go and do something with it. You're like, Oh, I wish I was those guys they are so smart and so weird and so cool. Like that's kind of the sense I get about like Belushi and Aykroyd and Landis with this movie. Yeah. Um, that they just, they, they got in a room and yeah, it sounds like that's it. That is what they did. Like Aykroyd and Belushi's wife just kind of like made up a bunch of weird stuff. And then another weirdo showed up and, and turned that into a movie and, uh, yeah, just the sensibility about it is uh, is is
3: admirable. You know, I like, can't think of anything that I would call out as a flaw in that movie. Like, there's nothing mm-hmm. in that movie that I don't like or I think, oh, I wish they'd cut this, have cut this out or something. Whereas there are some moments in Animal House that I think are a little... Challenging when you get to mm-hmm. that third act and the parade and all that business, but yeah. gosh, the Blues well, Brothers, everything in it is just wonderful. Let's just—they have. Oh, go ahead, John. I was just gonna say, there's always unlike what the way I
0: feel about Animal House. Maybe um, I feel like not only is is the Blues Brothers like musically exciting, mm-hmm. propulsive with propulsive action, like actual <laughs> good car chases. Yeah, but there's comedic ideas behind all of it, like yeah, the mall. Okay, so there's this big conceit for the sequence, right? We're gonna drive a car through a mall, all right? That's completely batshit crazy. Yeah, but not only are they doing that just as, as a like chaotic comedic beat, they're they're evaluating the mall the whole time, <laughs> which I think is one of the funniest yeah. things that they're like, oh look, disco pants. Oh look, uh, you know they're like, yeah, and, and it speaks so much to their character because. This is just somehow not that big a deal to them. <laughs> like, yes. How could it not be? But that's because the Blues Brothers are are the coolest criminals. Yes. That's, again, why I hate that job idea. Like, these guys are straight criminals. Yeah. They're also either amazing musicians or amazing <laughs> yeah. music men. And uh, I don't know. It's real. I feel like everything... The chaos of everything has something behind it too, so it feels chaotic. Yeah. While at the same time, it feels intelligent.
3: And there's nothing. And there's something
0: inscrutable about it. Like there's these two dudes with with
2: with sunglasses, and they don't they don't say a ton in the movie. You know, I mean, they get they they have some lines here and there. You know, when they have to say something, but they're these kind of semi emotionless weird dudes. But you know that like there's some yeah, like there's some brilliant thought going on behind those sunglasses and it comes out almost like around them, like you know, like in the mall. like Everything's go- like blowing up around them. They're causing all this mayhem, and they almost don't seem to care. Yeah, they're just like, oh, the Pier 1 Imports. This place <laughs> has got everything. <laughs> Fantastic. And I think that's a huge difference between this and Animal House. Animal House is kind of, look how crazy these guys are. Oh, my gosh. They threw a, a mannequin out the window. Oh, my God. He's got a girl in a shopping cart. These guys are nuts. Whereas Blues Brothers is like, the hell is up with those two guys what's yeah. co- what are they do?
0: what are they doing but that's they, cool but wh- where did that come from what's going on you and you said that they're like what, relatively emotionless i can't remember exactly how you put it but they they got heart too they, they do they care about they each other do. you kind of get yeah. you get a nice little like cold brotherly hug to introduce them to each other right <laughs> yeah. but then you get the moment where uh jake falls asleep and it's like you sleaze yeah. that's my bed and he puts the blanket on but then there's the whole drive of the dramatic drive of the movie is that they actually care about the the old orphanage in the in and, and Cab Calloway, you know? Like yeah. this actual where I never get I, you know besides rigert peter rigert's character and animals i don't really get that <laughs> yeah. any of those guys care about anything i mean uh, they care about their frat house i'm sorry i can't really personally get behind that but <laughs> in blues brothers i i want them to win not only do i want them to i want to see that band get together they really want yeah. you to what they really get you to want that right but i want them to get the money to the assessor i want every, uh, to me it's got real dramatic drive it's mm-hmm. really really funny and it's a big bold action film at the same time it's all things that i love
3: and and i would like to just say something about the nazis oh please i just think it's important that there are nazis to to humiliate (laughs) and and torment and i think that somehow the inclusion of the illinois nazis gives it uh, a a heart and also just a weird contemporary thing because you know when when the nazis marched in skokie and all that other stuff it's just yeah it's and Henry having Henry Gibson play the head of the Nazis oh is God. just brilliant. The casting. What are you going to do about great. it, Whitey? <laughs> I I got to tell you, you know, as many
0: times as I've seen the Blues Brothers, and I, of course I'm I cheer like the people, you know, the protesters or the counter protesters do all every time I watch the movie. But yesterday when I rewatched the movie, I got a little fluttery when they did. I was like, it was a different kind of feeling when <laughs> they knocked those Nazis off that bridge than I used yeah. to have. Yeah. It used to be just a, oh, obviously this is great. Now it's like, it's, it's almost more like a rallying cry now, where it's like, yeah. oh, I can really get behind this. So that gave it a little timeless quality, right? Like a real so, like social relevance yeah. that you don't expect oh, to get out of the Blues Brothers.
3: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, More politically conscious than a food fight. As much <laughs> yeah, as I like a good food fight. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. You know, w- what else do we have to say about the Blues Brothers? I mean, I think it sounds like we all like it quite a bit. But we like it quite a bit. It was I love McIntyre Murphy. Oh. He might be my favorite part of the whole movie. Oh, is that right? Oh, I love May- him and Aretha playing against each yeah. other. Oh, my God. Uh, that, we'll- that
2: that whole sequence might be the, the heart of the entire movie for me.
1: We got two hunkies out there dressed like Hasidic diamond merchants. Say what? They look like they're from the CIA or something. What they want to eat? The tall one wants white bread, toast, dry, with nothing on it. Elwood. And the other one wants... Four whole fried chickens and a Coke. And Jake, shit, the blues brother. Hi, Jake. Matt! Hi, Elwood. How, are you? How are you doing? How are you doing? I was Joliet? Oh, it's bad. Thursday night they serve a wicked pepper steak. Can't be as bad as the cabbage roll at the Terre Haute Faroe
3: Or that oatmeal at the Cook County Slammer. Oh, they are all pretty bad.
1: Matt, me and Elwood, we're putting the band back together. We need you and Blue Lou. Don't talk that way around here. My old lady, she'll kill me.
3: Ma'am, you gotta understand that this is a lot bigger than any domestic problems you might be experiencing.
1: Matt, what the hell is he talking about? Don't get riled, sugar. Don't you? Don't get riled, sugar me. Now, you're not going back on the road no more, and you ain't playing in them old two-bits, lazy dives. You're living with me now, and you're not gonna go sliding around with your old white hoodlum friends. But babes, this is Jake and Elwood, the Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers? Shit. They still owe you money, fool. Ma'am, would it make you feel any better if you knew that
3: what we're asking Matt here to do is a holy thing? You see, we're on a mission from God.
1: Don't you blaspheme in here! Don't you blaspheme in here! Now, this is my man, this is my restaurant, and you two are gonna just walk right out that door without your dry white toast, without your full fried chickens, and without Mad Guitar Murphy. Now, you listen to me. I love you. But I'm the man and you are the woman, and I'll make the decisions concerning my life. You better think about what you're saying. You better think about the consequences of your actions. Oh, shut up, woman. You better see!
2: Or at least it's the most exciting part for me. Just like their interplay, and then it goes into the song. Maybe the most exciting moment of any movie ever, and no one's going to agree with me or know what I'm talking about, but that, you know, you better think about the consequences of your actions. Oh, shut up, woman. And she goes, you better think. And immediately the three women who are sitting at the counter go into backup singer thing. mode yeah that's great god that's great that is Brilliant. so fantastic and nobody else in the diner even notices they're just eating their food and like you know chatting and stuff and this musical numbers
0: going on around them and uh oh it's so exciting and so and, cool and i love that jake and elwood just casually join in the chorus. yes i always yeah, they show that, up in the shot they're, they're, and it's that low-key style of dancing where they're just kind, they're oh. kind of going along with it but they're not overdoing it you know later they're much more jubilant in their dancing like when they're actually up performing i always like how they just kind of play a little role in it and then go back and so that there's
3: the same with the yeah. same with the ray charles can't help number two oh, you know yeah. when they first start to dance in the ray charles number it's really great ray charles yeah. almost shoots argyle from die hard because <laughs> he's trying to steal a guitar <laughs> oh, is, oh, is that, is that, that literally argyle is? it's Deborah white oh how little, funny. little
0: bitty Deborah white trying to steal a guitar oh my god yeah. that's amazing
3: um and I really love Cab Calloway in it too. He's so good. Like oh yeah, you know he, he's like for me. That's the thing that I just I just Look, love Cab Calloway. Ca- cameo
0: wise, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a variations in quality of performance. Like I love Matt Guitar Murphy too, but he's clearly not as good an actor as Aretha Franklin. Well, that's part of is why is I love. Kind him. of amazing that Aretha Franklin. Yeah. she's really good, and uh, she is. Cab Calloway's really good. And maybe I'm yeah. not aware, did he do, I mean, I know he was in movies back when he was a band leader, but mostly mm-hmm. just as a band leader, but did he do a bunch of acting before the Blues Brothers? I don't know.
3: I don't know he's, either. He's good. No, he's very good, yeah. 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 So
0: some of the cameos are better than others, and uh, they're all great in their own way, though.
2: Um, yeah. And- I mean, the lousy ones can be fantastic just because they're so lousy. Like, you know, a lot of the band members are not the greatest actors, but- they got heart goddammit. it yeah i don't feel like anybody's <laughs> faking
3: it i feel like everybody's being honest you know? Yeah, so, definitely. so there may not be actors but i totally believe uh matt guitar murphy every single yeah. second of that film <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. you know
0: what's his name ruben is that his last name the piano player yes. the guy who had to step in for yes. paul schaefer because paul schaefer was originally supposed to be in it like he was the original keyboard yeah. player for the blues brothers but he couldn't do it for some reason and I believe I, I, I'm i wanting to say Paul Rubin. Of course, it's not. Paul Rubens no. is in the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it's not that. But anyway, he had to step in and he, get, he gets a full on scene. Like he seems like a professional actor. He seems like an actor. Was. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't think, I think he, he is. Maybe more he I think he literally is more of an
2: actor. I think yeah. he had more acting experience beyond yeah. just being a piano player. Uh, but yeah, I think the rest of the guys are just, you know. Yeah, Donald Amazing Duck Amazing musicians who- <laughs> Donald Duck Dunn's clearly not
3: an actor. <laughs> he is nuts. He's great,
2: goat piss into gasoline.
3: But he knows go his go lines piss, and he hits true. his mark, and so that's just yeah. good enough for me. Goat piss into gasoline
0: is a great line. though. <laughs> but we're talking about, so this is not so much of a financial success, correct? I didn't look up the number. Oh, well, well, is that true? But it was,
3: I don't think that's completely true. I well, think not, a, that not Animal House level by any means. Definitely not Animal House well, level, but I think that it was a very expensive movie. Mm-hmm. and so their projections for what the film would have to do it didn't it didn't quite meet up to that right. i mean it's like with cleopatra you know we talk about how cleopatra ruined 20th century fox cleopatra did incredible box office the problem yeah. was is it was so damned expensive that the box office didn't quite make a dent in what it cost yeah. to make the picture but it didn't it didn't underperform now i do think that the blues brothers maybe underperformed a little bit yeah. but mm. you know it just costs so darn much and and the critics were waiting for it you know they were both it in 1941 uh were you know <laughs> yeah. they, they had this there was the same story at work with both of those movies and these films were getting out of control overly expensive and the critics just were sharpening their knives and couldn't wait
2: that is so interesting though that but like Spielberg did 1941, which I saw for the first time ever just like, you know, a year or so ago. I hope you saw the, I hope you
3: saw the, the theatrical cut and not his extended cut. Do you know which version I, you saw? Yeah.
2: No, I think I did see the theatrical yeah. cut. Yeah. The one that's really tidy and makes a ton of sense. (laughs) That's the one I saw. Yeah, right. That one. (laughs) Like, it's just amazing that they both kind of came, you could see they came to these movies with like the same kind of sensibility in a way. Yeah. Like, hey, there's going to be musical numbers and mayhem, it'll be great. And one is an absolute mess that you might like anyway, if you, you know, it's got some charm to it. And the other is like this beautiful jewel of like perfection in a way. It works so well. Well, one of them is also
3: directed by a guy who knows how to make a comedy and the other one is is made by somebody who really does not understand comedy. I mean, he can find comedy within a scene, but God, Spielberg making a straight-up comedy is just painful. It's kind of funny. Landis almost kind of shows up Spielberg
0: on both ends because he makes this runaway success comedy with Animal House, and Spielberg, I mean- tries to kind of make an animal house, but set in World War II, right. it fails. And then Mr. <laughs> turns around and says, well, I'll make a giant budget crazy action comedy
3: and it'll be better than yours, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, he kind of shows up Spielberg You know there, well, there had Spielberg to have been a huge that. rivalry between the two of them, you know, well, whether, every, they, ever, them, yeah. whether yeah. they acknowledge it or not. It, you know, it's like, it has to have been. At least during that pocket, might, maybe. But, you know, Spielberg probably had
0: a rivalry with everybody in you know, so, I mean, obviously, he made bets with Lucas and, you know, things yeah. like, of course, that was kind of a reverse rivalry where he trying to lift up Lucas I guess but yeah. yeah but Blues Brothers you know not exactly a big step down or anything as far as success he still Landis still had his cachet going forward yeah. and and moves on to the movie that he wanted to make first right so we're now into American American Werewolf in London which is a script he wrote in the early 70s and wanted it to be his first movie and now he's able to make it
4: Did you hear that? I heard that. What was it?
3: Could be a lot of things. Yeah? A coyote. There aren't any coyotes in England. I'm sorry I'm upsetting you, David, but you don't understand what's going on.
4: I understand, all right. You're one of the undead and I'm a werewolf. Yes, that's right. David, stop! I'm going to the police! Jack was right! Jack is dead! Jack is dead and six people are dead! There's gonna be a full moon tonight, I'm going to the cops!
3: Oh, be serious, would you?
1: You
3: can't let them go.
1: Should the world know our business? It's murder then, then murder
4: it is. I'm a werewolf. A werewolf? A naked American man stole my balloons. What?
3: Everybody turned it down, Everybody. all over town. Yep. And then they say that when he when he went to make it, he did he did almost no revisions on the script.
0: Yeah, which we, we'll talk about. We'll talk about that some. But I, they turned it down. A lot of them, I think he was very brash about his ambitions. So I imagine some of it was turned down because they thought the what he wanted to do with the with the transformation scene wasn't possible yet. And so for, I'm sure there were things like that. Um, because I think he came in with this attitude like, I'm going to do something you've never seen before. Or I think he claimed that he was going to do the transformation in one shot at, at some point when he was shopping the script around, which is just crazy.
3: But they were also just people were distressed by the fact that it was so funny and so violent all the same yeah. time. And that's always, you know, it's. It's like that scene in Gods and Monsters where they're watching, the old, cranky old maid is watching, uh, no, it's not the cranky old maid, it's Lolita Davidovich is watching Bride of Frankenstein on TV, and she says something like, movies shouldn't be scary and funny, <laughs> you know, it's, well, it's like, that's a rule.
0: <laughs> so where are we on uh, in, the, in the history of the horror comedy, where are we here, because how many have we had before, like a... a
3: Fearless not, vampire killers. Yeah, uh, was, yeah. Never, you know. There's, there's a movie that nobody was, you know, arguably that was not a successful movie, right? And, and so it was not something that people were thinking about the, the notion of putting real horror and real humor together. Rosemary's Va- Baby had a sly sense of humor underneath it, but nothing like yeah. an American Werewolf in London. And so it was kind of radical, you know. Now, where mm. are
0: we uh, released date wise with the Howling here?
3: Well, so they came out this, I mean, they all three, all three werewolf movies came out the same year, same summer, I think. Yeah. So it's The Howling, Wolfen, and An American Werewolf in London. Oh my God, I forgot Wolfen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Wolfen, not the most memorable of the three movies. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? There's a lot to like about Wolfen. uh, Yeah. And I mean, it has some really interesting things going on with it. And you'll never know what the real Wolfen was because it was one of those films that was... Oh. Taken away and recut, and different direct director came in to finish stuff off, and you know it was a it was a big a big mess. But obviously, werewolves were on everybody's yeah mind at that point.
0: Well, I d- guess so. So the Joe Dante though also makes a somewhat comedic. I mean, there's definitely definite, yeah. definite comedy comic elements mm-hmm. to the Howling. I would you say the ratio is a little different, but I don't know. that's that's radical idea kind of happened twice at the exact same time. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting.
3: They yeah. were probably aware of American well in London. I mean, I think that the script well, sure had probably been around town. Yeah. People probably knew about it. But um, Well, they also
2: both did uh, Twilight Zone the movie. They could have been like looking over each sure other's did. shoulders they, like, hey, son of a bitch, yeah, what are you they, doing?
0: Yeah, they, they did. That's right. A, a quick aside about that. Um, Joe Dante has his podcast, The Movies That Made Me, and John Landis mm. was on as a guest, and they were discussing the Twilight Zone, the Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone series and oh, wow. they, Joe Dante actually asked John Landis, why hasn't he asked us to do an episode? <laughs> and nobody laughed, nobody pretended like that was a weird thing to say. I might have been the only one that realized how weird <laughs> that is. Um, but yeah, I thought that was funny. But yeah, they're they're good friends now. Um, but oh, that's good. At the time, yeah, they might have had a little
3: bit of a rivalry back then as well. I mean, kind Yeah, sure. So, Tom, what yes. do you t- tell me about American Werewolf in London. What do you think about that movie.
2: American Werewolf in London. The first thing I think of is my friend uh, Sean Haynes's house, where I think I probably first saw it. And he had a lot of Fangoria magazines. And when I would go to sleep over at his house, I would never make it through the night. I wouldn't be able to sleep because I'd be scared because there'd be scary pictures in these magazines when I just saw a scary <laughs> movie about a guy who turns into a werewolf. And so there's that kind of um, you know early 80s effects-driven kind of horror movie vhs kind of grubby sense to it in a way um i mean i love it i, I you know it's one of my favorite movies probably top 20 or something yeah. but it's uh yeah i've always loved this movie like from the beginning, it was it was like cool to love this movie It was cool to know this movie and to love it um not everybody had seen it for a while uh probably because it was rated r you know and if it didn't show up on cable or if your dad didn't rent it or something from the video <laughs> place you know you weren't cool enough to see it
3: it is funny you say "grubby." That's really interesting because you know the like the sex is pretty out front, and then there's all of the sex jokes and all of the pornography stuff. Uh, yeah, it is. It, it does have a kind of weird, grubby quality to it. You know, it's kind yeah. of a, it's kind of a dirty movie in some ways.
0: Well, your, the initial dialogue scene, which is basically the first scene of the movie. Really made me think of Animal House again. It's like the, these two guys are talking <laughs> yeah. about making it with some girl, and it and it kind of went like, you know, watching it again. I've seen it quite a few times, but watching it again for this, I was uh, in such close proximity to watching Animal House. I was like, man, <laughs> God, I kind of don't um this. I'm not sure, and I'm not sure what it does for the movie. To be honest with you, like that, these guys, this is what these guys are about. But um, well,
3: Debbie Klein cried a lot at the
0: funeral. She did. So you, oh, yeah, there's that's, nothing that's boring about that body. Went, but then she went and slept with Levine, whatever. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um But yeah. So it does have it does have kind of a kind of a dirty like I don't know another. There's a little bit more of that juvenile male kind of idea behind these two guys. I'm not sure it does yeah. a lot for Animal House. I'm not sure what it does for American Werewolf in London. But um, so these guys, you know, they wander through the moors. They make their way to the Slaughtered Lamb Pub. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is where we get start to get into the story a little bit, and I'm going to ask you guys this, and anybody, you know, all our listeners who have uh, seen the movie, um, I've never thought about this before, but I feel like there's something major missing from this scene, and it's a logical thing to me, and then it kind of comes back again a couple of times. Why, why do they tell them to leave? Why did those guys go, but stay on the road? Like, all of that. I mean, it sounds foreboding, and it's got classic horror but does it make any sense considering <laughs> what goes on immediately after where, like, why wouldn't, why, and doesn't it lack conflict? Doesn't the scene kind of lack conflict? It's, it's a scene where you're creeped out and you're, there's foreboding stuff. There's a star on them with the, the you know, uh, candles on the wall and it's like classic horror movie stuff, but the scene itself just kind of doesn't have any conflict to it. They're just a little creeped out. And then they decide to leave. And yet these guys know, Uh, sticking to the roads is dumb. That's not going to save your life. I don't think this case either. (laughs) And they're immediately told by the barmaid they shouldn't have let them go. So why did they let them go? Why wasn't there at least a conflict where they want to leave and the people are trying to get them not to leave or something? Because to me it just didn't make any sense and then later they all feel guilty about letting them leave. It's like, well, you told them to leave. Perhaps they'll be safe in the rain. No one brought them
4: here.
1: No one wanted them here. You could have told them. Me, well, daft! And what do you think they'd say? They'd think mad.
4: Listen. Do you hear it?
1: We must <laughs> go to them. I heard nothing.
3: not I. Are we to assume that everybody just stayed in that pub until they yes. had to go out and kill the werewolf?
2: That was always my read. Yeah. 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 So
3: there, are they sacrificing these guys or well, it does seem like a dumb move, doesn't it? I guess it if,
2: was, if my read was that they, they, this, you know, this isn't the first time that this is like a, you know, a monthly thing, a full moon thing. And whenever it's a full moon, they know that Barney or whoever is going to turn into a werewolf. And so they just sort of they get gather to together at the, the slaughtered lamb mm-hmm stay together, and this might be the first time that any outsider has ever been there for that, and they probably feel, you know, like you get when they walk in, that they're, that, you know, the place is weird, like everybody's like, uh, there's two Americans hanging out in here, what's going on? Like, they're not friendly, they're kind of standoffish, they're all strange, and so they probably feel super weird about <laughs> the situation that their town is in, that they have to deal with this werewolf every month, Um, and I I feel like kicking them out is just sort of like, uh, get out of here. We don't know how to handle this. Except, uh, except
0: they don't really kick them out. They tell them to go, but they've the guys have already decided to go. They'd be like, okay, we're going to go. go. But stay to yeah, the road. Yeah. It's like, it's David's not really like, let's a get kicking out of here. Out either. It kind of lacks any kind of drama. So you're saying the and, scene
3: would be better if they were like, well, we need to be moving on, and then somebody in that bar goes, you know, no, don't don't yes, leave. stay, yes. stay. Yeah. Why don't you stay here? And of course, with everybody going, yeah, yeah, stay here, that would make them That's freak out creepier. even more, and then they would want to leave. And and then she could be like, you shouldn't have let them go. Well, what are we
0: going to do? They wanted to go, you know, and there's conflict. But the fact that we keep cutting back to them as they wander off the road further and further. So we get this like parallel, these parallel scenes, right? Right. Mm-hmm. so we know everything that's going on but had we not known maybe and then they show up to kill him then we could think about the sacrifice idea like oh they let him go but since we know that's not the case
3: i totally noticed it, that yeah. this time when i watched it that yeah. we, i didn't remember they cut back to the yeah. pub so many times and i was it's, like are they doing that because we have to we're establishing that we'll be back because the doctor is going to come back to the village or like why mm-hmm. are they keep cutting back to the people that was really weird. i think it's
0: to build i think he, he's trying to keep us ahead of them yeah and so we're the suspense is a little higher we're like wait these people are really really worried well he could have done that with the scene where they don't want them to go to me that's a flaw because then later we get all these guilt-ridden guys uh <laughs> we get the the doctor shows up he questions the the uh the the dart player and yeah. he's obviously so ridden with guilt and and he kind of immediately is right as soon as they leave he starts to feel bad yeah, and so, it's then he, so he spills his guts to the doctor and just all this stuff. And to me, it just kind of doesn't make sense. And I've never, I think this movie fell down a bunch of notches for me just because, hmm. like Mitch said, he didn't do revisions on the script. Kind of noticeable there. Kind of feel like maybe if, if Landis goes, hey, Steven Spielberg, my buddy, why don't you read the script for me? <laughs> I might do a rewrite. Maybe Spielberg or somebody would have caught yeah. that, you know? See if De Palma has anything to say yeah, about it. Because also it could be... it. To be honest, it's it's such an abbreviated movie in a way. Like you kind of feel that yeah. ending is always jarring to me. I never know quite how to feel about it, the way it cuts to the credits. Cuz well, it feels a yeah. little before we get to the credits, I just want well, to say yeah.
3: one thing that makes it go up for me, that improves the movie for me, yeah. is the appearance of Jenny Agutter. Well, always. Oh, sure.
0: Yeah, I've always
3: loved her. Too. She yeah. brings r- so much charm to the to the movie. She almost blows the guy off the screen you know she's really the best actor in the whole film and you know griffin dunn's very good too but she's just man she's just on every scene exactly where where she should be you know you just fall in love with her
0: griffin dunn we all agree griffin dunn's great right he is jenny agator's great yes Naughton, how do we feel he's the lead of the movie (laughs) he's the center of the movie do
3: we feel that could have been cast better I think you know how all of the critics <laughs> felt. He was the Dr. Pepper guy. That's what he was, he was famous for. Yeah, I know him He'd as the uh, Dr. Pepper commercial. My Sister Sam
0: guy. He was on the TV show, My Sister Before Sam. that, he yeah, was the oh, wow. Dr.
3: Pepper guy. Yeah. yeah, it was a weird piece of casting. You would have thought there would have been dozens of other actors that would not have been any more expensive than him. Yeah, that mm-hmm. they could have gotten. Maybe there was cachet and Dr. Pepper for that one <laughs> brief moment. You know what I mean? Maybe everybody thought he was well, going to be the next big thing. I mean, I think Griff- slip Griffin Dunn into that role and
0: get somebody else to play. Oh. His role could have been good, too. Because I can just see Dunn pulling off the kind of freak-out scenes where he thinks he's losing oh, his mind. Sure. I think that would have all gone great. He's so great as the the slowly uh, uh decomposing guy that, was, that keeps showing up <laughs> he, he's so good in that and he's so great in after hours i love griffin dunn always have yeah but uh yeah Naughton's a problem he's a bit of a problem in them he's a bit of a cipher i guess you might say um i'm i'm so used to him in the movie yeah like i probably wasn't
2: as critical when i first saw it you know as i was probably you know 12 or 13 or something so i just sort of accepted it Um, so I'm probably still seeing it with that brain, but yeah, I mean, objectively you can say like,
3: "Eh, eh." I I mean, why did the double whammy dream sequence at 13 must've really messed you up. Oh,
2: definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things like now you watch it and you're like, well, how did I know that this was not still a continuation of the dream? It seems sort of odd. Why is she asking why he just, or you you just wake up or something? And, but she's sitting right there and, oh, there's a guy behind the curtain. Oh my God.
0: Well, the whole whole demon like gang, arriving and murdering his family that's batshit crazy that, that is super that's weird you, that's where you go this is a john landis movie that's where you kind of feel oh this is a little off the rails yeah. chaotic crazy shit that's good i mean i love it yeah because it's in fact like, now that oh, i think about it he i'm sorry go ahead i was just gonna say we're, it's not a down the middle werewolf movie it goes no, all yeah. kinds of weird places and that's what makes that's the landis touch if you will um yeah that that makes it special. I st- I mean I'm not saying I don't like American Werewolf. I love American Werewolf in London. It's just I maybe saw I maybe never looked at it quite as closely as I did this time mm-hmm. since we're going to podcast
2: about it. You know, I'm just remembering as we're talking about it for the first time that that uh, I think I saw pictures. Yeah, in like a Fangoria or something like that. Of these crazy Nazi werewolf demon dudes, yep. I was like, oh, what a weird movie. Like, what what the heck is that about? Like, well, I, I guess when I see the movie, that'll make more sense to me. And then, you know, you see the movie, you're like, no, nah, I, I still don't know what those <laughs> Nazi think, werewolves are doing. At least you What's got it, to see really a bizarre? picture
3: of it, and so you knew it was for real. I remember as yeah. a kid seeing the poster for Werewolves on Wheels which was a werewolf oh motorcycle movie, and that poster was Whoa. so amazing. I just thought that it's going to be like it's going to be great like that, and of course it wasn't <laughs> at all. I think, oh, man, w- I
0: might be wrong, but I think maybe the um, having Fangoria have the the demon gang stuff was a way to showcase Rick Baker. Um, okay, Rick oh, Baker's exactly. working on this. Here's what some of the stuff he's doing, without going too far to give away the the werewolf. Maybe I don't know. Maybe yeah. those, those issues had some werewolf shots. I'm not aware. of. But I imagine they tried to keep that to their close to the chest until the movie was out, at least. But yeah, you I remember after the movie I Bakers, you saw that don't everywhere. you? You know, you want to make sure people know that you know Rick Baker's on your movie too. Oh, totally. Um, so Mitch, just quickly, like I've heard complaints about American Werewolf in London as like being structurally messy. Like, how? Do, tell me what you think. Like, let's talk about the third act of an American Werewolf in London for just a second, and. I know you you have things to say about it, but
3: why... I, I just think that once he gets back from the zoo, I feel like the movie kind of doesn't know what to do with itself. Mm. And yes, he he as a character does not know what to do with himself either. He doesn't know what's going to happen. But like, I have trouble believing he couldn't get himself arrested. Like yeah. you <laughs> know, He could have just yeah. punched that cop in the face and he would have been arrested. So that's kind of a, a weak moment. Uh, I just feel like it needs more ideas. I mean... The porno house is a funny idea with See You Next Wednesday playing as the movie. um, And the fact that the other dead people, the trapped souls all show up in the movie house to tell him what to do. But that's like the only idea, new idea in the entire third act of that movie besides, you know, car crash mayhem stuff, which we've seen before. So for me, I I just feel like it's missing something in that last third.
0: Yeah, you you almost think that, again, if... uh, if old, our old buddy Steven reads the script through for you and, and gives you notes, that he might have said, Get the guy arrested. Why mm-hmm. isn't the client, why not have the climax be at least begin in the jail? Like, why not have him transform in the jail? Boy, that's scary, right? You're trapped in there. Yeah. Then you he, then he can break out and go into Piccadilly Circus or whatever if you got to have that. But I would argue that the, the porn theater is not that new of an idea. We've already we've already made it very clear he needs to kill himself it's like really the thrust of that other than oh here here's some people you killed and you're guilty okay that's but a that's a idea. really good scene though that that's is,
2: like but, everybody yeah. who he's just killed is there they've all got different personalities and attitudes like you know the one guy's <laughs> pissed off he made my wife a widow and my son his father was and everything and
0: the couple know, the one that's couple very is nice like, hello yeah <laughs> they were on their way to a party they're ready to be hospitable But yeah, Yeah. uh, no, I get it. Yeah, I'm not saying it's bad, but the idea behind it is kill yourself. It's like okay, we already had that scene, so I'm not sure if it really if that's enough to elevate the third act past its problems. It, It is weird. Like this most recent
2: time watching it, I was like. Yeah, he, he. Yeah, you're right. He comes back from the zoo. She's gonna take him back to the doctor, and he realizes that he killed people. I'm like, oh wait, this movie's almost over. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's gonna go make a phone call, go to the, you know, uh, theater, and then that's
0: kind of it. Then there's mayhem, and then he's dead. And then he gets shot by cops from like a hundred yards around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've always thought yeah. the blocking of that was really messed up. That was a really bunch weird. of cops shoot him, and she's standing in between them. Was <laughs> left man, That was <laughs> yeah. risky, um, but anyway, that's I don't really care about that. But and then it just cuts. It just cuts mm-hmm. to black, and we go right into a kind of a, forgetting what songs at the end.
3: But blue it's, moon. It's, it's a blue moon, but a raucous version. of bomba yeah. yeah, da bomb, you know, bomba bomb, 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 Yeah, that's bomb, bomb, right. Bomb, so bomb, you back, you, back, you back.
0: would think you might get at least a little like score. It's really or something it's different. Super there. snotty. You know, yeah, that's it like <laughs> it's kind of
3: it's kind of John Landis being his snotty. Self, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a fuck you to the audience, you know. Yeah. Uh, that
2: kind of fits with the personality of the movie,
3: though, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're Like, no, you're even right. like the,
2: like most of the comedy in this movie, I don't feel like, like before I watched it this time, I was like, okay, yeah, is this a horror comedy? Is it a comedy horror movie? I'm like, I'm not sure there's like a ton of actual, there's some standalone sort of stick out comedy, but I think most of the funny stuff is more just sort of like the attitude of the characters. And the fact that his dead friend keeps showing up, and he's you know eating his breakfast for him, and talking about his his girlfriend who slept with another guy and stuff, it's more like just the kind of loose attitude towards these horrifying things that are happening.
3: I think if if any of these movies are a punk rock movie, it's American Werewolf. <laughs> yeah, you know, it has yeah. a real punk sensibility yeah. to it. I think definitely. Yeah, yeah. as far as no heart, and also you know, <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> it's
0: mean. Yeah, because uh, well, maybe that's why maybe Naughton is good because the mean spirit if it's a mean spirited film i don't want to give a shit about that guy that because i kind of don't i do i really don't care if that guy's going to turn into a werewolf i don't care if he kills
3: people but that's just the nature yeah of but he's kind of got to be a little soft because griffin dunn is so snarky you know yeah, i mean I, I don't right. know i mean if you would if you would have had tim matheson ah, I was for just example gonna say that, man. <laughs> i think it would have been like what a couple of assholes you know it would have been it might not <laughs> have
0: think- you don't think Tim Matheson could have played it a little bit I
3: don't know better
0: and yet still had that softness to him? I mean, I don't know. Hmm. It, it, Tim Matheson was going through my head as as alternate casting as well. Maybe Peter Riegert. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Boy, Riegert, that would have been a whole other man, that could have been
3: Niedermeyer. You know. That's who it should have been. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, I don't know
0: anything about the success of an American Werewolf in London. It was it was kind of a hit, wasn't it? I don't know if it was. No, kind of I, had, don't so. I don't think so I don't think it did
3: all that well. It didn't cost very much, which is good. They did. They yeah. did it for a relatively low budget. Polygram. Uh, it, it had an financed impact, it. though. I mean, people liked it,
0: right? I mean, oh not, yeah. I, I don't yeah. mean critics overall. Yeah, but.
3: but I think you know R-rated comedy, R-rated horror comedy. When there were three, two other werewolf movies out that summer, it was a very strange, crowded field that yeah. summer, mm-hmm. and I think they all kind of canceled each other out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with with, actually with Wolfen being the big bomb of the three. I mean, Wolfen was a real bomb. The Howling was certainly the one that was most on my radar. Uh, Yeah, but The Howling was so... Was that a hit? It 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 just sort of slipped out. You know, it it didn't cost much. It came independently. It was Avco Embassy, I think, that released it. And and, uh, at a point when Avco Embassy was not exactly in its heyday. And I think that it just probably made its money and that was that.
0: But it was on Friday Mm. Fright Night. On one Friday (laughs) night. over at Michael Butler's house next door
3: and I saw it and then I ran out of the house and went back home and she chops that werewolf's arm I, off. I think that would be the interesting <laughs> thing to see is all these years later, which one of those two movies has, you know, which one of them has made more money. Yeah. It might I'm be the sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, certainly the, the brand
0: uh, would be American Werewolf in London because it at least had a sequel. I'm sure the sequel had- Oh, the, oh, howling, the howling has had, had four. Like a oh, that's right. Cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: God, I forgot all about those sequels. They didn't have anything. Yeah, yeah. you're not and the only that's one. That's probably why it didn't make that much money because I think it was God, probably trapped wow, in I some kind of about low about budget, those. you know, straight to video, uh, financed vortex. Because yeah. that's probably how they got the money for it. They probably pre-sold video and everything for the sure. howling. Like, yeah, I was gonna say the. Uh,
0: I never even hear anyone talk about the howling sequels. Oh effort. no, they're all awful. But American yeah. Werewolf in London or Paris had the that thing you do guy who was real hot at the time from everybody who thought was the next Tom Hanks and That, that was a bombed. huge bomb. Wasn't it was a bombed, yeah, yeah. right. So Monster who knows bomb. which one of those which one of those made the most money over the years, but well. All right, so we we already talked about, you know, we got their Twilight Zone in there. Yeah, skipping ahead. Skipping ahead to. What's well, undoubtedly a giant a giant success trading places. Yeah. I had the most absurd nightmare. I was poor and no one liked me. I know what you're
1: thinking. You see Paul and Ben? We can make it, baby. Me and you
4: Dan Aykroyd. And Eddie Murphy are trading places. Help! Help! Anna hey, wants your bag, man! Help! 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 I'll bet that that man could run our company as well as your young Winthorpe. Are we talking about a wager, Randolph? Is there a problem, officers? Oh, Winthorpe. I'm glad your parents are not alive to see this. What the, what, wait, now this is totally preposterous. I'm not a thief. Here we are, William. Take off your clothes. You are making a career decision here.
3: Take off your clothes. Did you hear what this man said to me? I have
4: witnesses. This man is physically threatening me. Hey, Randy, bossy, this is nice. I like this. We are commodities brokers, William. Commodities are agricultural products,
1: like wheat, which is used to make bread, pork bellies, which is used to make bacon, which you might find in a bacon and lettuce and tomato
4: sandwich. I'm considering going long on April Wheat. What do you think, Valentine? Slime ball. What? Put that gun away at once, Winthorpe. You lost your mind. Dan Aykroyd. Eddie Murphy.
1: They're not just getting rich, they're getting even. Do you have any better ideas? Yeah, you know, it occurs to me that the best way you hurt rich people is by turning them into poor people. Dan Aykroyd.
4: Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Ralph Bellamy. We've got to get Wilson and turn up the sale. Donna Meachie. Randolph, this isn't Monopoly money we're playing with. Denham Elliott. What a scumbag. And Jamie Lee Curtis. By the way, food and rent, not the only things around here that cost it money. You sleep on the couch. Trading Places. Some very funny bits on April of 142.
0: It's one of my Christmas movies. It's my every oh, every single year, and I like to say that I th- I believe it's the best Preston Sturgis movie of the 80s. <laughs> to, when I watch that movie, I always yeah. think this is something Preston Sturgis would have done. Like this is if yeah. he would have been contemporary to the 70s or 80s, this this is something he would have done. And I and I, I'm not sure. I've never heard any Landis talk about Preston Sturgis. I imagine he saw a lot of Preston Sturgis. And oh, I'm sure, the social, yeah. the social prescience of the movie and the, um, the, the playfulness with race. I think th- those mm-hmm. are things Preston Sturgis would have done had those things been...
3: I think that's the one thing you've got to hand to John Landis and, uh, and also to the Coen brothers. I mean, it's not just Stanley Kubrick. It's the fact that these guys are so enamored with the tradition of comedy... Even mm-hmm. a movie like Spies Like Us, you know, which isn't a particularly good movie, but it has some nice moments in it and it's clearly a road picture. It's a Hope yep. and Crosby movie. And so yep. he's he's working within these different kind of comedic lineages with these movies and certainly I think you're right, it's a it's a it's a Preston Sturgis film. It was supposed to have originally been called Black and White. Yeah. I think Trading Places is a better title maybe. And what and, yeah. and Carbon what
0: Carbon Copy came out the year after the Denzel Washington uh Oh, who was it? Oh name? yeah. George, uh, George Siegel Was that yeah, it? Yeah, George Siegel and, and uh, Denzel Washington. And then, yeah, oh, Brewster's that. Millions was the next year. Walter Hill's Whoa. remake of Brewster's Millions <laughs> also. Yikes. Uh, yeah. But Trading Places, yeah. To me also, I watch it every single Christmas. Uh, I consider yeah. it a Christmas movie. I guess it probably really isn't. But I I consider it one. and um, It feels like gotta, it. It's got Christmas trees. I'm just going to say it flat out. This is my favorite of the four movies. Uh, I absolutely I f- adore it. I just gushed about the Blues Brothers being perfect,
2: and I think Trading Places is less perfect, but it might be my favorite of the bunch, too.
0: Yeah, I'll give you—I th- I do think that it could have used some tightening up. There's probably a beat or two too many where um, Winthorpe is down and out. Like, maybe you didn't need every single beat of him <laughs> seeing people through windows and— you know, everything that happens around that. Maybe, maybe not. I, I I can't say I've ever been watching it and going, oh, I don't need this scene. I've never thought that while I was watching it. I think that every single time on the train. The train is just very well, weird. that's what we were definitely, we got to yeah, talk about the train. the train's scenery. a problem, I think. Yeah, I, I was going to get to that, yeah. Okay. I mean, I think the train's a problem, but I think there's something we can talk about with the train, sure. too. And Mitch, I, think, I feel like we've had this discussion in some way. Where there's a third act thing with comedies, and some of the great comedies, hmm. where they do kind of go off for a second. They um, and Sturgis was one of the people that would do that, you know, where where suddenly the movie would go in this other direction for a while, and maybe it was just to serve one plot point. Like this, this is just to serve one plot point, which like, is just the gorilla business. Well, that's not a plot point. Just getting oh, the, getting the switching uh, the orange the, report. Yeah, switching the yeah. report is the whole plot point. That could have been done in like a shot, literally. Like, of course, that's not that interesting. But they don't even the way they get the orange report doesn't even have
2: anything to do with their plan. (laughs) You know, it's it's like it's it's like it's like Return of the Jedi. It's like the most ridiculous nothing. What are you thinking? Plan like so convoluted and so stupid. Uh, But there's some funny stuff in it. Well, the gorilla and I think think
3: the gorilla stuff is funny. Even though it's just so stupid, but it's no. like you know the Howard Hawks thing about one good, <laughs> you know what is it? Uh, three great scenes, no bad scenes, and one relatively effective guy in a gorilla suit gimmick. <laughs> well, you got that, man. You know that's the Howard and Hawks.
0: Landis loves gorilla suits. So, yes, I mean, definitely. Back, yeah. to, uh, just schluck. don't we I, all? I do too. Yes. I think there's something class, very classic comedy about Franken forgetting the other guy's name. Franken and Davis. Uh, Franken and Davis. Yeah. 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 Being these off, like, completely pointless characters that just suddenly show up in the third act, and the whole yeah. of business, there's something just batshit and almost like Marx Brothers-y about it or something, you know? And, yeah. But but the actual, like, our our, our our key characters and their whole charade is so absurd. And, I mean, yeah. obviously, we got to mention the fact that there's blackface involved, which is a really strange choice, even for yeah. 1983. Irie, Irie.
1: I certainly hope there's enough spears on the train for me. Nenge! Nenge
4: Yomboko, from Cameroon. Do you
1: remember me? It's Lionel Joseph. Lionel! From the African Education Conference, right? Yes, Simon. I was director of cultural events at the Haile Selassie Pavilion. I remember the pavilion. We had big fun there.
0: And, uh, it's like why? Why is this in the movie? And it's the one thing that kinda <laughs> makes me wonder about whether this is a truly great film. But I I I think it probably is anyway, because I do think then again, it's it's on that frequency of the classic comedy, and I think that fits in a, in a strange way. So yeah, at least
2: it's- the, the the only thing that does not fit, like, there's funny stuff in all of that. Like, I love Denim Elliott in that scene. I love Eddie Murphy in that scene. I love everybody in that scene, even even uh, Dan Aykroyd doing his weird thing. But it's like, where 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 did this come from for? Lewis for, for Winthorpe. like was he in some you know like Harvard drama club, and this was like a character that he had back then of yeah. like you know Lionel Joseph, and he just and, he, and he, oh I finally have a chance to bust this out like like what of his character would <laughs> allow him to have this character with the dreadlocks and everything? It just doesn't make it's like I guess yeah. I guess Dan Aykroyd wanted
0: to be in the movie it's
3: the like white Dan privilege of the funny. East Coast schools, I there guess maybe
0: yeah maybe yeah and, and yeah yeah because this would be like the uh, the yeah, the whiff and poofs or whatever. I'm trying to think of like these groups that do these ridiculous plays. That is right. something they would do. And I it guess it also is. apparently, none of them talked about it. Right? Like, aren't we supposed to get the impression that none of them have seen each other in costume yet? Because they always seem surprised by each other when they come into the cabin. Am I <laughs> kind am of misreading that? Or I've always thought, oh, are they also adding this? Uh, we're gonna fuck with each other a little bit here too <laughs> by not telling. <laughs> the only each reason other. I. The only reason I don't get that is because
2: uh uh Coleman is confused by uh um Ophelia like he like he can tell that she's not doing her lines right or something, so it seems like they do have an idea. like but you're wearing later hose and yeah. And you know, she's he's like, you know
0: Well, but that could just be observed. It's in like the they moment. it's like they
2: did a dry run or something and she's not remembering what she did in rehearsal or something I like that. I don't
0: know. They just always seem very kind of surprised by each other, but that's part yeah. of, that's funny. That's Hilarious. Denham Elliott is, is so funny
3: in this movie. Like, again, all these, you know, Ralph Bellamy and Don Amici are funny. Everybody's yeah. really funny in this movie.
2: It's yeah, And Eddie's yeah. really funny. Um, you know what's good about Eddie Murphy in this movie? Like, as somebody just mentioned, like, right after this, he did Beverly Hills Cop. And I like Beverly Hills Cop fine. Um, but it seems like that was the beginning sort of of, well, I guess we'll write a script. But the main thing is we'll just have Eddie Murphy there and he'll do funny stuff. And he'll just kind of go nuts and we'll, well shoot
0: that. I, I would and guess, I, I would counter it by saying that what I think it actually was, was they just kept putting Eddie Murphy in scripts. <laughs> they, they <laughs> golden, yeah. The Golden Child, do you think that was supposed to be an Eddie Murphy movie? Oof. No, it was. A, that's a pre-existing script. Not and sure they said, supposed hey, movie. let's put Eddie Murphy in it. This is a prayer yeah. about property. We've got this guy, he's our biggest star. Put him in yeah. that.
3: The same, they almost did it with Star Trek. I think it's like Elvis Presley. You know, I think also there's a whole <laughs> thing with... Eddie Murphy wanting to play roles because he wanted to be a movie star and there were certain kind of movie star roles he wanted to play, but that's not necessarily what he's the best at. Like his Mm -hmm. archetype, I think he's kind of like, he's like Bruce Willis and all those other guys that whenever they're bigger than the movie, the movie's not nearly as interesting as when they are a, a, a smaller part of it. And in the case of Eddie Murphy, you know, I'm sure he doesn't always want to play the underdog all the time, but he's at his best when he's the underdog who's smarter than everybody else. And yeah. because his social p- position doesn't allow him to be on the top, he has to use his wits to... So you look at 48 Hours Trading Places and, and Beverly Hills Cop, I think the first one. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. He's that. You get to Beverly Hills Cop 2 when it yeah. becomes you know, a Tony Scott movie and it's suddenly a superhero. It's well, different. Even yeah. more
0: so with the John Landis film, Beverly Hills Cop 3, which apparently became an instance where he didn't want even it to be a comedy. Like, Eddie Murphy wanted to down, I guess him and and Landis were at odds throughout that movie because he wanted to downplay the comedy and he wanted to just be a big action star now. And so that movie is just awful. I think that's one of the small handful of movies I walked out of in the theater. (laughs) And Beverly
3: Hills Cop 1 was just, was kind of blind luck because it was supposed to be a Stallone movie.
0: Yeah, I think that was. I think yeah, it definitely oh, well. was. I don't. I think it was written, and then Stallone was attached, yeah. and then they said Eddie Murphy, and then they rewrote it. Yeah, but but yeah. yeah, definitely. So I mean, he seems. Yeah, he was. There's that trifecta of movies. We won't talk about Best Defense. That's not really an Eddie Murphy movie. Um, <laughs> he shows up in it in in reshot scenes are like uh, you know what I'm talking. The yeah. the Deadly Moore movie. But you got your. Forty-eight hours, Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop—that's a pretty damn good three movies. It's an in a amazing row, run, yeah. And, yeah, uh, and I'm a giant fan of Beverly Hills Cop. I actually think it's top-notch comedy and action movie. So I'll check it out again. Oh, I'll yeah, you should. Okay,
2: but but it, it just feels like in in something like Trading Places, like Mitch was just saying, he's 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 not bigger than the movie. This isn't just an Eddie Murphy movie. He's a character in the movie, and he gets some 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 controlled uh opportunities to kind of go nuts and just be eddie murphy and that's awesome but it's like into the service of this of the of the actual movie does he doesn't he never takes it over even though he's the star of the
0: movie basically and i appreciate that i one of the great fourth wall break break moments in, oh in my god yeah film. i mean it's two just, of them two, he's got two in this movie the one the only one i can think of is when he uh God, what, I can't, now I'm forgetting what the subject is. Does he say yeah. oranges? Like which bacon, you... like you might find in a <laughs> that's, bacon, that's lettuce, it. and tomato sandwich. <laughs> that's <laughs> it. And he just he just gives a nice look to the camera and looks away. It always gets me every time. It's so perfect. Um, what's the other yeah. one? I'm missing the other one. The other one.
2: one is right after he gets arrested, Uh-oh. after the whole, you know, and, yep. and they stuff him into the police car, and he just looks at the camera as the, as the car drives away. Sort of to And say, he's like, can you believe yeah. this? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. God
0: damn it. Yeah. Oh. So- Performance-wise, we just said that Aykroyd, I mean, maybe his best. To be honest, yeah, you know he, he's what? He's playing a character. We, he's off character a little bit. He's off. This is not Dan Aykroyd like we're used to seeing him. And yeah. he's really convincing. I I hate him, and then I feel for him. Just exactly yeah. what you're supposed to do. Um, he. We didn't say it enough during the Blues Brothers, or at all. But he's. I love him in the
2: Blues Brothers. Okay. Eddie, uh, Dan Aykroyd is a really really good. Actor, and I think if he had died like John Belushi, people would be talking more about him.
0: Well, he's had, I his, think, that yeah, personal, you know, obsessions that maybe have given him less credit, like, credibility. yeah. Well, and, he lived long enough to, to have those obsessions, yeah. He lives so. long enough to be a, kook, <laughs> yeah. a kooky guy who believes everything he hears, but, right. uh, but yeah, he's great. <laughs> I think, and this is to me, this yeah. is my go to acroid performance. I, I think this is, yeah, where he's at his best, he's actually doing some act, he's actually doing a real character. That has a lot of like layers to it that you, Mm -hmm. like I said, you hate them and then you root for them. And that's great. I mean, if you can pull that off, you're doing, you're doing something.
2: He's got the, (laughs) Dan Aykroyd's got a weird thing that I've been noticing in a lot of his movies from at least this era where his character will at some point go into like really specific technical detail about something. And I, I wonder if that's like a Dan Aykroyd thing, because most of the times it happens and it's in movies that he's written like in mm-hmm. Blues Brothers. He's like, you know, he talks about the skamads and like, you know, the, what the cops have and all the the details of the, of the Bluesmobile and everything and stuff. And then in Trading Places he describes the watch to Bo Diddley and everything. You know, it tells time simultaneously in London, Paris, Roman Stad. And then like, you know, Ghostbusters, he's got all his like, you know, Last of the McKentrick supplicants and everything. And he's he he's like this cool, weird, smart nerd dude who can also like, you know, inhabit these very different characters. Yeah.
3: And he did that he's in Saturday a, talented Night Live guy. a lot. There were a lot of sketches yeah, yeah. where he would where he would give this litany of Uses for something or (laughs) secret facts behind something. And there was even an account in that uh, book about the Twilight Zone thing where he was asked about his uh, truck driving license or something. And he gave this very verbose speech about what trucks he would be allowed to drive and not drive with his his Canadian license and all this kind of stuff. It's like, must just be kind of who he is. He must just be kind of a, a gearhead or something.
2: I like that. I appreciate that. Yeah, this, I mean, out of all of these, this is like the movie, I mean, these are all very quotable movies, but this is the one where like, I think I've bonded with the most people in my life over this movie where it's like, you know, it's like me and my sister love this movie and me and my friends love this movie. And, you know, it's like a family thing and a friend thing. And, uh, like it's, it's sort of a litmus test. Like if I can toss out like, you know, and she stepped on the ball and
0: somebody gets it, then, you know, they're cool. (laughs) We shouldn't, I, I don't think we've mentioned Jamie Lee Curtis yet. And I think no, we, should we should talk about her. Where is she at in her career? She's obviously coming off of John Carpenter movies, the the Halloween, The Fog. Um, yeah. Has she done comedy yet at this point? Or is this kind of her entree into comedy? I'm trying to remember. I think that's
3: why she did it, right? Yeah. Now, I don't know why she did the nudity in it, whether that was just-, just Isn't just, that odd. She was just all in or what. But hmm. it wouldn't be- Perfect was after this, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think this was I think this was a step up for her in terms of a comedic role and yeah. well, showing showing that she
0: wasn't just a scream girl right. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It is funny that like uh, Landis seems to, you know, Landis definitely was uh, the Blues Brothers. I don't believe has any nudity in it, but otherwise he really likes to make sure there's mm. a little bit. In yes. Every the movie. Blues
3: Brothers is the most chaste. Of all John Landis' well, films, without a doubt, it's they're, the most innocent. You know, it's very—they're very desexualized. Yeah. Like apparently, yeah. Jake
0: has um, gone has, has been in a relationship with Carrie Fisher, and that's about all we know <laughs> about them romantically, yep. right? But uh, but and then you know, as far as we're on the subject of of nudity, and oh Dan do Aykroyd does
2: try to pick up uh, Twiggy. I'm sorry,
0: oh, I'm oh Twiggy he does, does that, up, right. but yeah. he does we not could, go uh, anywhere him. near that hotel. <laughs> I no, mean, he obviously doesn't. he's busy. But you also get the idea that he maybe doesn't even remember doing that. That's a, Yeah. But Gosh, see, yeah, I love that character. Jamie Lee he's Curtis great. in Trading Places, She's it's like a showcase of nudity. It's like not as matter of fact as it is. I mean, obviously Bluto spying on the girl in the, mm-hmm. in the pillow fight and everything. But it's almost like, look at this. It's Jamie Lee Curtis getting n- naked, you know? It's almost like it was a thing. Yeah. Almost like, you remember when Halle Berry did it in that movie Swordfish? Yeah, right. And it was yeah, like, yeah. everybody... Get ready. <laughs> no one will Halle be seated during the Halle Berry, <laughs> Halle Berry naked scene. So, uh, so it's kind of weird. Like he's almost playing with it as an idea, not just as like the part of the chaos or anything. It's very strange. Yeah, it is but weird. That's like the one, '80s the, thing too, though. I, th-
2: to, she, I think it's twice that it happens. She just like yep. just flat out disrobes, and. Uh, like the first time, it's kind of it. it makes sense. It's, it's kind of pointed. Like she's got the line about it. She's like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, food aren't isn't the only thing that costs money around here. You sleep on the couch or whatever. And so there's like a little bit to it. But then, like mm-hmm. the next time it happens, she's getting into bed with 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 uh, with Winthorpe. He's like sick, and she kind of you know snuggles up next to him and stuff. And that you know again that could make sense in that context. But it like I remember even like as a As a kid who's appreciating this sort of thing, you know, as a teenager, I am like, "Well, all right, oh, they're doing it again." Okay, all right, didn't make as much sense the second time, but no, the first time it's a
0: power move. She's like, "Yeah, exactly." What I've got, you can't have it, You know, unless it's on my terms. So then, the second time, as often happens uh, in movies, uh, the woman makes a power move, and then it's undercut at some point. So it's her getting naked and getting in the in the. She has this flimsy yeah. thing where I'm protecting my investment. That makes no sense. I <laughs> get them some soup. You know, you don't have to yeah. get naked and get in bed with them. You're uh, going to get sick, and then you're going to be useless. Yeah, right? So it's it's kind of it's just kind of headed, you know. But but whatever. I don't know how we. I, I just want to talk about J.B. Lee Curtis. She's she's good <laughs> A comedic she's awesome. actor in yeah, the she's movie. Great I didn't really want to talk she's about. She's terrific her. in it. Yeah, she's great. So, all right. So I guess I think this
2: is the role that got her. Apparently, John Cleese was completely unaware of her until he saw oh. He was, he was, he was thinking fish. about Fish Called Wanda, oh, and, she's so and good he not.
0: saw Trading Place. He's like, who the hell is this? Get her on the phone. Oh, my God. Yeah, because she's amazing in Fish Called Wanda. Everybody's That's yeah. another movie where everybody's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a top-tier comedy that I don't think people talk about as much. It used to be so no. revered. I remember when I was younger. It was younger. huge at the time. My dad yeah. loves that movie. Um, but yeah, so no, she's, she's fantastic. Yeah. So we're at the I think we're at the stage. We've talked about all four movies. We've kind of given yeah vague impressions, but let's let's boil it down. Let's see what do we think Tom, are you saying you brought the you brought John Landis to the table? Or are you do you would you give him a quadfecta? Would you say these four movies, Warts and all, somehow come together to make a quadfecta, as we like to call it? I mean,
2: it. if I understand <clears throat> if I understand the whole project correctly. I mean, you're going to say that there are going to be some warts in even, like, Francis Ford Coppola's quadfecta or something. There's going to be some... There's no such thing as a perfect movie, yeah. you know, but it is still a string of four great, like, objectively... Well, see, that's the thing. Are they objectively great? Well, <laughs> or are they... You know, I like Animal House fine. It's a classic. Does that make it great? You know, I find... Yeah. You know, if I find something funny but it's up it's actually stupid and lazy, does that make it not good? You know, so I'm making it more complicated than it is. Which needs
3: one to do be. you think is the for you, which is the weak if there is a weak one of the four, which is the your weak weakest? one
2: for me, and it's not it's not weak, it's just I have the least um, sort of passion about it is Animal House. Okay. I appreciate it as a classic. I, I like you said Mitch, I, I really appreciate the intelligence of the guys behind it. Um, and that sense that comes through in the movie, um, I like it as a sort of uh, you know descendant of, of MASH in, a, in that way. Um, and there's a lot of funny stuff in it, but it is, it's it's it's, it's general sensibility is not as uh, as interesting to me or something.
0: Yeah, I, I, the weakest link is Animal House for me as well. And I and I think it's almost kind of sad to say. I think that American Werewolf in London might be a weak link to me too in this so say spies like us or into the night whichever one came first I can't remember say one of those was a truly great film I might still go with <clears> it <throat> if but watching American Werewolf in London this time as much as I still love the movie but it's got like kind of objective problems like I think that there's things in it that make it not truly great in that it's a little bit undercooked where I think they could have there could have been another pass on the draft uh, on the script and, and we might have a pretty much a pitch perfect little horror comedy but um, to me Animal House definitely is the one that just doesn't really strike home for me as much I appreciate it on many levels I love the score
3: mm-hmm. uh, the Elmer Bernstein score is amazing it's so weird though because it's it's it so defines who John Landis is, and now obviously I'm moving into some kind of a tourist territory. Versus four yeah. great movies, it may just be four, John Landis's four best movies in a row. Mm-hmm. John Landis yeah. does four great John Landis movies in a row. Whether they're objectively <laughs> great, maybe maybe I can't I think, say. But I, I think we can agree that that's the case. This is
0: the four best. There's,
3: there's four best, yeah. and they happen to be in a row, which is pretty extraordinary. Like it's a mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a run. It's a pretty amazing run. I want to tell you. Yeah. I,
0: I, I agree. I, I think it's his best run. I, I like Coming to America better than Animal House. I would, if Coming to America hmm. fell in there, I think that movie's amazing. Yeah,
3: sadly, though, you have to get
0: through. You have to get through Spies Like Us and Into, into the, the Night. night to and get into there. Into the Night might qualify <laughs> in some weird way. Spies like us definitely does not. Spies like us is, is not a successful film.
3: I would have to watch Into the Night again. I yeah. just remember seeing it. I think only once, and I have some pretty yeah. vivid memories of it, but feeling like it was so fucking weird. Well, and it's, it's really weird.
0: It's super and not
3: weird like After Hours weird. That's really no. funny, you know. And as, as in addition to being weird, it was just like yeah. It but there's it was no doubt weird. It's, it's on. The, it's on playing around with the
0: same ideas. After Hours though, like you kind of get the if you could watch, you yeah. can make a double feature yeah. of those for sure. I find it unsettling, and this is almost like an elephant in the room kind of thing about it. That Landis cast himself as this like cold blooded murderer in it, <laughs> in the wake of the Twilight Zone thing. Yeah. I thought that, I think yeah. that's almost like a snarky in your face kind of thing to do. The same attitude that we're saying he had with American Werewolf in London. Um, I think he kind of it was. It's kind of tasteless in a weird way. Like to me, when I'm hmm. watch that movie and I see John Landis and he's killing people. I'm like, really, dude? Like, is this really what you (laughs) want to be saying right now? Um, I think he's a bit tone deaf, maybe a little. I think maybe he was in his own world.
3: I think he's an an egomaniac. He's an egomaniac. I think he's like, fuck everybody. And I don't think it's any different. That's not changed. I mean, I don't think he was particularly humbled by the whole thing. He even spawned one. Like, he even (laughs) brought another one into the world. But, yeah,
0: yeah, so, I mean, you're right, Mitch. As far as the John Landis, the idea of the John Landis film... This is certainly the best four movie run. And we're gonna Mm -hmm. get in the autourist thing, um, you know, if we're gonna just judge them on the level of John Landis movie, yeah, sure. He gets a quadfecta. This is a pretty amazing run considering the crit like you got The cult status of A Blues Brothers and An American World in London, you got the financial success, the critical success of Trading Places and Animal House, and so on, and the cult status of those movies, too. I mean, I don't know if I'd call Trading Places exactly a cult movie, but it kind of is in this weird way. Despite being Mm -hmm. a box office success, it also has this following that doesn't have anything to do with that. You know, it's like people attach their own ideas to it, and they, you know, but Animal House, of course, a big success, but clearly kind of a cult thing, too. Or there's specific yeah. pockets of people that revere it, you know. But um, as, if we're talking about objective film, I, I, I wouldn't give him one, personally. I, I just think that there's too many ups and downs. And and even if, you know, I could be totally objective and not put my personal feelings about Animal House into it, uh, maybe that would be a, a truly great film. But I think American World War One London, kind of lacks it. So I don't know. The, to me, it's a no. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not the decider here or anything, but... To me,
3: it's a no, Mitch. What do you think? Okay. Um, it's I I guess I would say it's mm, I don't know I don't know. I'm really torn <laughs> I'm torn because like it's yeah. just a silly game but like, yeah, yeah I think it's a weird um, it's kind of this amazing run and then of course it's hard not to think about j- thriller which is this I- incredible thing and then this. Twilight Zone debacle, that even if it hadn't happened, even if they had finished, like if Vic Morrow had made it across the lake with the kids, it would have been the shittiest episode of that movie (laughs) still. Would it have been worse than Spielberg's? Yeah, just because, boy, I mean, that one's really bad, too. I mean, it's kind of amazing. They were, like, so competing, and they both made just two turds, but Yeah. um,
0: (laughs) I think Landis's would have had a little bit more social relevance. I think it would have actually had Something behind the right. idea, right? <laughs> something very happens, esque Twilight Zone pretense. Yeah, where you where asked. the racist becomes all races and has to yeah. run from the, you know, from himself. Right. Basically, yeah, there's an idea there. I I don't think it would have been the worst. It's the it it's the worst or as bad as Spielberg's because it's lacking any kind of
3: like it feels like a completely unfinished film. Even I, I but it's the way it was. It's closer to how he wrote it. I know that's like, what's we, that's what it was sort weird. of shitty to begin with. Well, Tom, then, did
0: you know that the 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 whole helicopter explosion all that was a, a, a studio note they actually said hey we need something more here oh my and God, he went really? off and wrote we that we need to it do something to redeem
3: himself and so yep. they he oh, came man. up with this idea that's really interesting because every happen. you know
2: i haven't i didn't dive deep into like you know the specifics of like the whole accident and everything but every time i you know i everybody knew about it even when the movie came out i was like oh wait the the it's like a full it's kind of like light and kind of half-assed, but it's it's like a full like. Where did that stuff fit in? Yeah, like I never understood like where that scene would have come from. Like he's carrying two kids. What's going on? What? Like you know, right? In the movie, he just lands and the grenade goes off, and then he's back in Germany or something. Like, right. yeah, it's it's it. That's not surprising
0: to find out that that's like you know from left field or something. Yeah, and I think he got excited about the idea. You know, it's like fine if I'm yeah. going to do this, I'm going to make it big and crazy and. Have explosions yeah. and gunfire, and it got all out of hand from there. Well, but, nobody died on Blues Brothers. What could go wrong?
3: But you know, you, it makes you wonder. Like close, right? Though wasn't, there, wasn't yeah. there something? There was something really close on Blues Brothers, wasn't there? Oh yeah, I think there was a couple. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can see it when in the you movie. Stuntmen working see a few.
0: all at once. I, there had yeah. to be some co- close calls on that one. But um, I mean, you know, the other thing is this this concept of how to cr- uh, critique a comedy, right? Like comedies are tough it's tough to be objective comedy might be the most subjective genre because if it makes you laugh it succeeds right um i don't know it it, it's it's a tough one but you know to me there's there's enough kind of lag in his in these four movies like imperfection so to speak to take it down a little bit for me but Mm -hmm. i certainly like all all these movies on a level and and like i said trading places every christmas so and he certainly didn't fall flat on his face with any of these. No,
2: he's got four not.
0: movies that are at least very good. There yeah. are no 1941s in here.
3: <laughs> right. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sort of leaning towards I want to I want to say that it is a quadfecta, but I know that I'm just fudging it with my you know, my, my subjectivity that there's, but I mean, you know, like even, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right about, you know, the third act of American, uh, American, I keep wanting to say American graffiti, American werewolf in London, but that movie is still such like a cool achievement anyway, you know, like just let, let's, let's have a kind of funny, weird, snarky yeah. movie about a werewolf. And it's going to have these amazing effects and it's going to stick in 12 year olds brains for the rest of their lives like that's like a cool. Yeah. It's a cool movie. It's really cool. It's an achievement. And Animal House is an achievement, even if it's not like you know knocking my socks off completely. It's uh, it made an impact, and it matters to a lot of people. And uh, it was a it was a cool thing to have happen at that time with all these you know lampoon people and some Saturday Night Live people and stuff. Yeah. Um, it feels wrong to me to not give it to him, but i would understand if that's cheating nope go with your heart
3: four <laughs> f- four solid films undeniable they really four are solid films yeah. in a row so it's yeah. amazing yeah all right well tom thank you for joining us thank you for bringing oh my the god movies. thank you this was awesome yeah. i had a ball we, we look forward to uh the crystal skull oh sure yeah the <laughs> a skull coming up uh we do at the Soon-ish. end of Blues brothers
0: everybody can go back and listen to all the blues brothers if they want it's it's out there on iTunes, yeah. i'm sure and uh i recommend it yeah and we're mitch and i'll be coming back very soon with uh episodes on attack the block i believe that, sh- that should be our next uh, episodes on the main feed and we'll have more commentaries and quad coming in the future here on Patreon. So keep an eye out and come talk to us on the Facebook and tell us how, you know, you think John Landis absolutely got the quad fact. I'm sure most of you will say I'm always the stick in the mud with this thing. I'm the I'm the hardest critic, I guess, but All right. <laughs> no Okay. All right, well everybody, thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye.